Hey, this is Jason A. Hurley, writer of The Beauty, and you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> That was kind of a timid woo. I was waiting for it. A little timid. That's okay. Clint. Yeah. Good show Tuesday. Went the way I knew it would. Watch it. Watch it. Oh, really? I know who won, but I haven't seen the episode okay. yet. Okay. Yeah. David? Oh, I saw it yesterday. Oh, okay. Pleased with the outcome, though. Yes, very pleased. How I far away is her town from yours? About 25 minutes. What? Yeah. Yeah, but you know what her rates must be. That's what I said like to the, Nina. I said, now it's just, her winning this just cost me an extra 400 bucks. More than that, dude. Well, still. I, not I bet you she's probably a couple hundred an hour now. I would assume so, yeah, but I don't usually get large scale things, so I'm assuming that it would be like maybe an extra three, four hundred bucks. Yeah. It'd be very much worth it just to stand out and watch her stand with it. I bet she smells so good. I can, right? Nina tells me yeah. I'm creepy when I say things like that. Every time she comes into well, the you are. I, I am. Every time she comes into the frame, I'm like, oh, she's so damn cute. And she's like, Dad. She is, though. She's gorgeous. She's, exactly. How could you not? I mean, she's, like, breathtaking. Yes, she is. Yeah, that's incredible. I want to see her without her contact lenses, though. See, I'm worried it might, I don't know, it might, like, the whole thing kind of works as one package. Though. Okay. She needs to ex- yeah. expand beyond red. I mean, she looks damn good in it, but I would like to see her in another color. Right. Yeah. I think we've entered creepy old man territory right now. It's true. Yeah. Dressing up dolls. All three of those p- people were really good, though. They were. But I have to say, like, the show didn't have as much drama this year as those others, but but I think it was a, a very strong class of tattoo artists. Yeah. Ex- except like, for Sketchy, because he's just a punk. No, I thought Sketchy was a good... But Good see, I, I I can't. I have to separate the man from the work. I can't. Right. I can't be objective now because even in the finale, he was the satellite. Everybody's hugging each other and you know backpatting and everything. And he was the satellite walking all around. I'm like f this. I'm too good for these clowns. Like, dude, right. it, it really bothered me when he said he left like a G. He didn't leave like yeah, you he didn't. Like you did. Yeah, if G bitch. stands for Nate, goof, you left. Yeah. yeah. Nate, Nate Nate bugged me a lot. Yeah, because I want. I mean, he's been doing it for like two and a half decades. I wanted him. I, I, I'm like, oh, all right, cool. So we got somebody who's who's been doing it a while. We're gonna see some good shit. But then he whips out that whole. They're just gonna get mediocre tattoos for me. These canvases don't know what they want. They want shit. I'm just gonna give them what they. And I'm like, dude, really? You're not even fucking trying. Then I was when he said uh, clients get the tattoo they they deserve. Yeah, who are you to determine that? Right? You should be a professional and give everybody 100. percent Yep, and exactly. we we give you a hundred percent every damn Ooh. week because this is eleven o'clock comics episode four hundred and fifty. Oh my gosh! And I'm damn, four five zero. Oh five zero. And I'm Vince B. You are sounding all all dejected. I'm David A. Price. Mm. Yes, mm. you are, and cloning at you like a nightmare. I'm Ben Riley. I'm just going to pretend you didn't say that. You're Jason Wood. He's hit rock bottom. I I I cannot. I, I'm I'm no rush to read it. I'm no. I, I, I'm I'm happy kind of being out of the loop on this one. Yeah, you're not Ben Riley. You're Jason Wood. Everybody. Uh, yes. I do bear a striking resemblance to Peter Parker, though. 
Okay. Well, Parker Industries, Peter Parker, maybe. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Straight G, best ever, Parker. <laughs> G for garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I got my glowing Spidey. B-E-P, uh, Doge. Got my tech. Yeah. Where'd that come from? Chemist. <sighs> But you don't have to be a uh, G to get cheap uh, messed up. Just go to Discount Comic Book Service, dcbservice.com. That's dcbservice.com, where you can get the absolute lowest prices on your favorite funny books and collectibles. The list is up, and the discounts are spectacular. Now, I'm going to pimp a Marvel book. I almost never do this because Marvel doesn't need any help. But this is a first. It's a rare occurrence. It's an original graphic novel. It's called Deadpool, Bad Blood. And it is written and drawn by the man that created Deadpool, Mr. Mm-hmm. Rob. Yeah, Rob Liefeld. A cover price is twenty four ninety nine. Your price, boys pants, $12.49. And it's a parental advisory book. So they're going all out. They're they're keeping it real as the movie, right? Uh, Jason, did you see the cover? I did. Who's that lady running in the background? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know who that is. Yeah, but then right next to her is Shatterstar, so it's like all over. They negate each other. Shatterstar's dope, too. <laughs> He's not dope. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, there's cable there. Thank God. Um, What? No, Shatterstar with his padded helmet. It's nice. It's cute. <laughs> Brown want to hit the wall. So when he has seizures, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, ah, yeah. help her, baby. Uh, from DC, it's the Flintstones trade paperback volume one. You've heard us talk about it here at length many times. Written by Mark Russell, art by Steve Pugh. Great art by Steve Pugh. Regular price on this is sixteen ninety nine. Your price, if you are a smart DCBService.com subscriber, the price is eight dollars and forty nine cents. And I have another one from DC, although it's a team up with the fine people at Boom. This is called Vince will be on this like white on rice. No. It's called Planet of the Apes Green Lantern, number one. Written by Robbie Thompson. Get who the artist is on this. Jason, did you see? Not sure. Barnaby Begenda. Yeah. Oh I did, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness, cover price three ninety nine. Your price one dollar ninety nine cents. Now this is what, a six issue limited series? Five or six. I don't know. All I know is you gotta get it. There are multiple covers, so don't waste your money on the Ethan Van Skyver one. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, get a different one. There are I, there are many that, from uh, which to choose. I want that incentive with the um Oh, no I don't. Why? I just I just looked at the price. Yeah, it's Fuck. it's it's up there. So Save money, go to dcbservice.com and be an intelligent connoisseur of comics and collectibles. Damn, I want that cover though, man. Which one? The one that's like the Silver Age Green Lantern with Cornelius? The homage to, uh, yeah, yeah. showcase number uh, that's, 22. That's a great cover. Yep. All right. What are, what are we consuming here? What are we consuming? What are we consuming indeed? I am drinking Sam. Well, we I'm drinking Sam. That's okay. You Sucking out of Sam. I'm not. I love it. Next. Good. I'm drinking Pacifico. Nice. That stuff's very good. Little too. Yeah. Sometimes, like I have to really be. I don't have to be in the mood for it because it always tastes good. But it's a little paler than I tend to drink. But it's still good. If that makes mm-hmm. any sense. 
Like, I like them dark, but that one works. Okay, okay. How about you, boo? Uh, I am finishing off... I'm coming down with something. So I'm finishing off... Um, I have a glass of Larceny 92 Proof Kentucky Straight Bourbon. But when I am done with that, I'm going to uh, move over to some Hard Scrabble Applejack, which is a... Very much like a whiskey, but made with apples. And pretty strong too. And it does not, it doesn't taste like apple juice or apple cider or anything like that. It, 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 it has a real, real nice flavor to it. I picked it up at one of the local distilleries by us. Neat. Yeah. All right. Jason, you better get animated. Dude, I'm animated like, 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 uh, like Mickey. Like, Nah, nah, dude. I'm thinking more like, like Felix the Cat. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. <laughs> good. So, do we have any thank yous before we move on to the good stuff? No, I do. Nice. Um, well, only because it's it ties into a previous thank you. Um, Tis the season, and we started uh, getting the. Christmas cards in the house, and one of them arrived, and it is from our friend Steve Raker. And the reason, only reason why I am bringing it up is because <clears throat> when he went to uh, Boston Comic Con, what this, I, I love Steve for doing this, he'll he'll take um, the the Avery large size stickers, the labels, he'll print up. He'll, he'll do. He'll make his own book plates so that when he knows he's going to see a creator at a con, he'll sign it, slap it in a uh, a book he has by them. But he uh, he sent me one signed to me by Mr. Mark Schultz to go with the collection Steve gave me last year. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so I have to thank him for that. Thoughtful book. Very cool. Yeah, I like that. Me too. That's one thing Steve is. He's very thoughtful. He says that is true. And he knows a lot about bugs and shit. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a thank you, but I do want to remind people because we are now the second week in December. So the year of comics is quickly nearing its end. And we have our annual awards coming up, the 11 O'Closkers. And the easiest way for folks to weigh in with their picks for the best comics and creators of the year is to go to tinyurl.com backslash EOC awards. You get your vote on. And maybe by the time they hear this, or a couple hours after they hear it, they might even be able to go access the, what the hell do I want to call it? It's not a document. Wow. Form. A ballot. They'll be able to access it on 11o'clockcomics.com. Mm-hmm. Oh, cat's out of the bag. Mm-hmm. It's been out of the bag. It's not. It, it will. I. Everybody's been kicking ass on getting this thing ready for prime time. So I, I would really like to say that um, maybe not when Vince has the episode ready because he's got one more thing to do. But uh, I would think by the end of the weekend we will. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. And uh, I hope you don't want every single episode up there by the end of the weekend. Every single one, dude. No, no, no. Because that's an impossible task. 
Yes. No, get on it. I I, I could have a hundred, but I don't know about every single one. That's lacking because I have to go image searching with the new, mm. new newfangled slider. No, no, but you don't. You don't I'm have not, to. No, I'm not just going to put a slug in for the old episodes. No way. We're going to do it upright. Nobody but wants you, to see this. People just want to go and listen to the old episodes. They don't need right. images. I because the slider is only going to have the most recent articles. Yeah, I'm going to do it right. All right. Quick shout out to uh, first of all our boy, our uh, brother from another mother, and con posse member Ray Ortega, aka Onomar. Uh, for those of you that don't know Ray personally, he is a uh, resident of Oakland, California, and uh, he was uh, unfortunately one of the very, very many people who had a personal loss uh, in the horrible Oakland fires of uh, last week. And uh, so he had uh, found a charity that uh, is doing some good work in support of that uh, tragedy. Uh, and I wanted to shout it out for our listeners who are maybe looking to uh, help in any way they can. So it's a uh, place is, uh, called You Caring, Y-O-U. C A R I N G, uh, and uh, it's it, they have a campaign set up for the Oakland Fire Relief. So you can either go on Facebook, youcaring uh, dot com, uh, Facebook backslash youcaring, or go to youcaring dot com and uh, look for Oakland Fire Relief, and you can donate. And the cool thing is about this particular campaign is that um, the Oakland Athletics, the Oakland Raiders, and the Golden State Warriors are each agreeing to match any donation. So essentially every dollar you give will contribute $4 to helping out the families. So that's pretty dope. So go check it out. Let's talk about comics. Who wants yes, to go okay. first? I have some 11 o'clocker worthy books this week. Do you guys don't want to talk about uh, Clone Conspiracy? Never. No, thank you. What is that? I don't know. Stop. It's rock bottom. Art? It's Titan, right? It's, <laughs> no, it's not. I'm, not. I'm not saying the art's not, but... I, I can't get past the story. I'm By the way, Dan Slott contends that uh, the big reveal is something he had been wanting to do for years. Bullshit. No, he said uh, during the uh, Spider... Spider... Was it Spider Island? Mm-hmm. He said that uh, in his mind, the, the, the person playing the Jackal was the same person, but the editor wouldn't let him make it that person. That's so. a smart editor. See the more the, the the more he's talking, the more he's ruining that whole era of amazing six hundred to Spider Island to Superior Spider Man because that was to me that was pretty flawless when Peter has to put that helmet on, giving Otto access to his mind, only to um, have it come back to bite him at Spider Island and then open the door that we would get superior Spider-Man. And, and if he's going to start talking about things that he wanted to do back when he was good, when, when he was doing things that I enjoyed reading, then it's going to make those stories not be as meaningful to me. Okay. Mm. So we're not allowed to talk about it. You can talk I, about I, it I if you want to go ahead. Not yet. I mean, after the first issue, when that, when we saw what happened, I, Tapped out and figured I'd read it. Whatever. Well, I guess let me ask you guys because because I I'm not quite like I get that you're not feeling Spidey at the moment, but why is this reveal disappointing to you? 
like I heard about the big reveal and I was like, okay. I'm like, what? I don't like, it didn't mean anything to me one way or the other. I was like, whatever. Like, why does it matter that the Jackal is, uh, well, spoilers for everybody. I guess he was, doesn't want to be spoiled, but the Jackal is revealed to be in, in, uh, the third issue, uh, Ben Riley, not, uh, whoever used to be the Jackal. I forget his name. Miles Warren. There you go. Um, but why is that like a problem? Just because you didn't want to see Ben Riley back ever, or no? Um, it, in my opinion, it's because they're brothers. In quotations, you know, they're brothers. They're they're made from the same DNA. Riley has the same sense of of values and morals that Peter does. And he, the way he went out, I thought was was pretty neat. Mm-hmm. It just seems contrived to me. Like, oh, who would, how, who can I put under that helmet that would make people absolutely lose their shit? Right. Yeah, Ben Riley. Monarch. Okay. It, so it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The the two of them are basically David. If you, you can agree with me on this, if you wanna, they're basically of one mind. Yeah. And yeah. It, it would take. Put it this way: Is has there been anybody in the Marvel universe that has been able to sway Peter over to the dark side besides Tony Stark? Peter just thought he was doing the, the right thing then, so he didn't mm-hmm. really he didn't really lull him into the dark side. But has there is Peter corruptible? No. Well, why should Ben be? Right. Well, has Kane showed up at all? Uh, the last thing I read with Kane. What, the Scarlet Spider? Yeah. 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 And even Kane has a weird sense of, of obligation and, and responsibility. I mean, it's, it's lopsided. It's, it's skewed, but Kane still carries that, that torch of responsibility like Peter and Ben did. So I, I don't, I just don't understand, other than shock value, why, why someone would want to, tarnish this great character bring him back if you want for good meaning the opposite of evil but don't just bring him back to make him a villain like that's it's just stupid and it's it's Mm -hmm. it's it's 90s like we've seen this a million times before i i I, it's not attractive to me it 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 does not pique my interest it doesn't make me want to read this to figure out even if there's some kind of contrived uh, loophole that in the end where he was acting in a in this way in order to do what he thought was good. I still don't want to read it. I just I don't. I, I, maybe I'm 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 aging past the point where I mm-hmm. I, I don't know. The old man. I don't think so because you know the, the Superman stuff still gets me and uh, so I it's 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 a part of my fond memories of comics that I don't want to have. Um, and I'm not saying uh, I sound like the dudes on the Facebook, like you're ruining my childhood. That's not what I'm saying. I choose not to read this. I don't think it's a good idea. I choose not to read it. The stories that I love with Ben Riley are all still there. I can revisit them and be in my happy place. I just don't need to read this. I don't think it's a good idea. That's all. Well, no, there you go. Yeah, He's not ruining anything on me other than this this story. This dead no more story, which mm-hmm. I don't want to read. Okay. 
Let's go. Let's let's hear about a book that you think is well. well no, you did. Wait, you didn't get David's take on it. I want to hear what David has to say. I, I, I'm so, I thought David was abstaining because he didn't no, he that. was he was probably carefully considering <laughs> his words. Um, I believe it or not, um, this may come as a surprise. You, you may not know this about me. I'm a little bit of a purist, so when <laughs> I didn't see that coming. The uh <laughs> so for for someone to be Spider Man who isn't Peter Parker, you're already at a disadvantage with me. And and for the whole Clone Saga, which I know, I, not, bear in mind, I still haven't finished the Clone Saga. So I, I, I yeah, no, I haven't. And and I have I have the first honking big ass epic collection and I'm, I'm waiting for the others but um i didn't read it when it was coming out and i, I so I, I did at the beginning and but i i, I wasn't i wasn't really fe- it's a product of its time i wasn't really feeling you know sleeveless hoodie spidey and and um the web shooters on the outside there were just certain things where i was just like it, this is cool and I'm, I'm glad there are people who can enjoy this this kind of really isn't for me so um I don't really have um, a strong emotional connection or attachment with Ben Riley. I, I I'll read a Ben Riley story probably sooner than I'll sit down and really get ready to enjoy a Kyle Rayner story. But I will have um, I understand his his place in in Spider Man lore from the nineties. So I. I I get if 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 Slot's trying to do a whole oh shit moment with a swerve and and but I this this volume of Spider-Man post Secret Wars has been behind the eight ball and and then to bring to bring the character back not not just to bring a well if we already were spoil the third issue to bring Gwen back in the first issue, but then to give us that bullshit backstory, it, it just, it, it was just more, is, is giving me more reasons to not want to continue reading this particular storyline. So I, I have no, um, I, I have no, uh, nothing really to add to what's going on in, in the clone conspiracy and, and dead no more at, at this moment, I, I uh, mm-hmm. at this time, uh, yeah. I mean, I, maybe if if I get past everything else that I have to read, even the things that I'm rereading, and 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 there's a lot of things I need to get to before I consider reading the Clone Conspiracy. So, um, no, I don't. It's if if some people, like, since I, I did see one person on Twitter today say that uh so I read Clone Conspiracy number three and, and did that really happen at the end? So I don't know who else is talking about it. I don't know if there's been a huge reaction, if if um good or bad. So I'll I'll wait to see how that plays out. But I um I, I have no uh no input either way really. Well I mean Ben was created just for um sensationalism. Right, we're gonna take Peter. Right. We're gonna take Peter out of the costume. We're gonna put this character in the costume that's essentially Peter. And mm-hmm. as a brief aside, I still don't understand how a clone can have the same 
mental makeup as its, quote, parent. I don't understand that. It's a blank slate, right? It's just a, it's just meat. You're just cloning. You're, you're duplicating meat. You're not do. Our, our brains are not encoded into every one of our cells is what I'm trying to say. So for a clone to have the same mental makeup as the parent, it doesn't seem, it seems weird. It's like you duplicate a blackboard. Does it have the same writing on it? I don't know. It's, it doesn't make sense. But anyway, so we'll put this character in Peter Parker's uh, life. We'll get a new group of supporting characters. That was fun. Right, but it was still same as it ever was, and people that lost their their minds when Peter was taken out of the costume, he he went on a on a little you know to find himself on a road trip, and then eventually came back. So you know the cyclical thing kicked in. This is just uh, it, it's just wrong. It, it's it, that's all I can say. It's just wrong. The the fact that Gwen was aware of of the whole uh, death incident. And mm. that's it's silly, and this is even 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 more uh, out there. I just don't like it. But let's talk about comics, Jason. What did you read? No, you said you had some great books. Oh, I do. Going. Yes. Yeah, I do. All right. I got something's going to make y'all really happy, but I'll save that end to you guys. Okay. This was published by IDW. It's a it's an anthology. Centering on the same uh, fictional universe. There's four stories of various lengths in this book, but I just want to talk about one. And it's the cover story of Walt Disney's Comics and Stories number 734. It was written by Roberto Gagnor. Pencils by Giorgio Cavazzano. Inks by Sandro Zemolin. And color art by Kawai Studio. This story in particular is called The Persistence of Mickey. It's an Italian story, obviously, and it was originally published in 2010 in the magazine Topolino, number 2861. Topolino's the Italian name for, for Mickey Mouse. Uh, and this is the first publication of this story in the United States. The reason why I find the story so fascinating is not only is it really well done, but it's based on a real-world occurrence. There was a time when... Um, Walt Disney was reconsidering his approach to cartoons. Um, the, 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 the few detractors that he had claimed that his films tended to, um, eschew artistry in favor of, uh, you know, mass appeal, a broad spectrum appeal. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why he made Fantasia which was highly innovative. And he said to him, you know, okay, you want to see, you want to see artistry at work? I'll show you. And they made, they made Fantasia. And he was in the works of making another, um, cartoon that showcased, uh, I don't want to call it genuine artistry, but something on that, that operated on a higher, higher level than say the cartoons he was used to making or producing, right? Um, he felt like Fantasia just didn't really go the distance. So in 1945, he appealed to a Spanish artist of some renown, I'll leave it at that for now, to collaborate on an animated film. They didn't get very far. Uh, there was like a, a 15 second demo reel, there was a stack of notes and some storyboard sketches. And the film never saw the light of day. During their lifetimes, but these 
the two men, Disney and this artist, remain friends for the for the rest of their days. Um, this story opens up with Walt Disney. He's actually in the story. Uh, Mickey, Goofy, and Donald, they're waiting at the Burbank airport for their visitor to arrive, right? And uh, plane lands, and the 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 uh, door opens, and the walkway, you know, pops out. And there's like a, a clamor. There's, you know, very, very uh, rambunctious, very excited exit. And the, the, man, the man exits the plane, and he's wearing a deep-sea diver suit, complete with the giant metal helmet, you know, and everything. Now, based solely on that, who do you think the artist is? Mm. I give you a hint. He's a surrealist. Dali. Salvador Dali yeah, exits, nice. exits the plane. Dali um, love color. And, and there are really cool um, nods to Dali within this story. Like Peg Leg Pete is a security guard at Disney Studios. And he and at one point he says to to Mickey, "Surreal, huh? You know that he's a, <laughs> you know, that he's a security guard." And and he the 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 boys try to follow Walt into Studio sixty six, and Peg Lake Pete won't let him do it. So they sneak up behind the Pete's back, and they they you know go on up and peer down at Walt Disney and Salvador Dali working. Um, Dali has this this big drawing pad. Uh, no, Disney had this big drawing pad. Dali has a canvas. And as they're working, the characters that they're drawing on their canvases are actually emerging from the page. They're streaming out into the atmosphere, right? Um, they're flowing out. And, and uh, as usual, Donald kind of pushes his luck. He bends over too far in the skylight. And he in, he falls, and in doing so, he grabs Goofy and and Mickey, and they fall into Dali's painting. It's crazy. Once they get in the painting, really? no, it's nuts. Once they get in the painting, they enter this like appropriately surreal landscape mm-hmm. with with the the melty droopy clocks, like eyeballs floating in the sky, gigantic. Um, Things floating in the air that have cities on them and there's holes in them and there's a giant hand holding an egg with a flower growing out of the egg. Uh, and the, the, one of the things I love the most about this was a pack of elephants start walking by and they have these giant constructions on their back but the legs of the elephants are impossibly long and they're, they're so thin they can never support the weight of the body of the elephant, but they are, right? And the guys climb up the, the legs of the elephant and a telephone rings. And, and the receiver of the telephone is a lobster. Another Dali inside joke, right? This is an amazing story. And it's it's based on this real world thing that happens. The film that Dali and, and Disney were working on was called uh, Destino. And there are actual quotes from the song that was used. See, um, Disney's grandson, Roy, um, actually had the film completed based on what the two men did, the notes and the, the storyboards and everything. Uh, I think it was in like 2003 or 2004. The thing is actually completed, but it's only six minutes long. And this, the comic uses some of the lyrics from the song that plays in the actual cartoon. 
art creates art. Mm. Yeah, it's a great little wow. story. The cartooning is amazing. Like um, the uh, what's his name, Cavazano. He nails both Disney and Dali. Like the facial expressions on Dali, it's, it's him. And it's so such a spare line. Like he doesn't noodle. They're just basic shapes, but the it's so animated, so fluid. When um when Dali gets off the plane, there's a great line. Uh, he takes the bell helmet off, and Walt Disney says Salvador Dali, and Dali has you know his eyes are half open. He goes, "Your friends, they stare. What are they looking at?" <laughs> it's so fun. I love this story, and I can't not nominate this for something because it's just an incredible piece of cartooning uh i hope jason you get these for the kids don't you from idw the disney books i thought i thought you did no but anyway you're in luck because this month at our sponsor dcbservice.com the trade paperback that includes this story Mm. is offered for pre-order and I believe it's very well discounted. I don't know if it's, I don't want to say it's 50 for sure because I, I don't remember, but it's at least 35, 40% off. It's like eight bucks and change. How could you not get right. it? Yeah. It's a great little story. Go order this thing. I love it. Goofy's Respect. dumb as a rock as usual. But, and another thing that's really cool the Mickey has no eyeballs. Big plus in my book. And the Donald, his beak is styled in the way that the original Donald drawings were, like the very elongated, very pointy beak. It's not the Howard uh, the, the Duck beak. This is the original Donald beak. And he's got the sailor suit on. It's great. It, this is an, an amazing thing. And there's other stories in here that are very well done, too. There's a story. It's very much done in the Barks mold. Where Donald enters a race to help promote his buddy, who's a you know a, a, a fast food cook, and then there's a single page Bucky Bug that Bucky speaks in rhyme, and then then there's another long story. I think this is actually forty pages, and I don't know if it's the norm for the Disney books at IDW, but it's it's you're getting your money's worth for three ninety nine, but you'll even get more of your money's worth if you buy the trade. So, Persistence of Mickey. Great stuff. Amazing stuff. That's too cool. This makes my bell ring for a long time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Ring my bell. Ring um, my bell. <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> Dick. This is so weird. <laughs> Before I forget, Vince, yeah. I I don't know if we're getting going to get into it yet, but... I reread the second page, and Jeff is correct regarding the trees. Really? Yes, because he says, Jonas says, the trees along the stretch of Florida are plain and bare. There were palm trees by our motel, and there's a motel sign next to the trees. So these are the trees from near the motel. Yeah. Not from the stretch of road. Yeah, so no, no. I'd still kick it back. I got gotcha, you. But, yeah. You know, in case you, you don't case. know what David is talking about, uh, we were talking before we started recording about uh, Jeff Lemire and Scott Snyder's AD after death. Jason, did you read that? Not yet. Damn you. 
Um, I didn't finish it, so we're not getting into it. It's just something that this kind of stuck in Vince's craw before a uh, little bit be- because we sat down yeah, there's a passage of text that says, you know, there were no palm trees. The trees were like the trees we had back at home, and you look at the spread and. Jeff draws, Jeff draws pine, palm trees. And see, I would even challenge what you said because at the time the palm trees appear, the balloon's in the air. The balloon was not – yes, it was next to the motel. Well, as far as this drawing is concerned, <laughs> the balloon is near the motel. But when you don't get that from the, from the text. They leave the motel. It's not. It's not. It's not happening in real time. He's Whatever. Oh, you see now. You, oh, you're backing it up with that now. That it's not happening in real time. I don't know. It's a beautiful spread, but I don't know, whatever. <laughs> we'll talk about it when Jason reads it. Jason, what did you read that you're going to make us so happy with? I took a trip on the way back. Uh oh. Wow. I went back to uh, not too far back, but time's flying. I went back to 2012. Ooh. And I did this because my booze, my brothers, the guys I so giddily get together every week to talk with. <laughs> They've been in love with a particular comic book company. You read with ever increasing uh, fervor, <gasps> and I'm going to go so far as to say, although I haven't oh. seen either <laughs> what? No, I'm, I'm waiting. I haven't seen either of, their, of your ballots for the eleven of Oscars. I know at least one of you is almost assuredly going to vote for this company early and often. Yeah, he will. And. You know, one of the things about this is that we are fortunate enough to get comps of all of their work. And y'all talk about these these books a lot. And I I remember starting to read them and uh, just just got so far behind. I, I just it was daunting. So I thought, screw it. I want to go back to the start. And so I read. Four years worth of bloodshot. What? Yes. <laughs> Show notes. Jason reads four years of bloodshot. That's it. Then that's it. That's that's the whole. That's the show notes. So I started with. Um, I did the. Uh, um, uh, the deluxe editions, the the volume one and two, deluxe editions of Bloodshot. Mm, that was the ongoing, the original ongoing. Right, yeah. and then which which became Bloodshot and Hardcore. Uh-huh. And then went back to Bloodshot for the last few issues up to 25 and then ended. And then we read the, uh, what was the name of that event? The, the, va- the, the Valiant. The Valiant. Yeah, The Valiant, which I, I read I read that as it was coming out with you guys. And then then comes Bloodshot Reborn, which by my man Jeff Lemire, who we just had on, and I think, as you guys know, is one of my favorites. And, um, man, I got to say, like... Uh, First of all, I don't want to – I guess I should start at the beginning. Um, the Prior to Bloodshot Reborn, I was surprised at how many different creators were involved in the first 25 issues. There were like, what, six writers, I think? It was a little scattered, yeah. I mean, you had Sorzynski, you had uh, – Dysart, you had Christos Gage, right? You had uh, B. Clay Moore. I think I'm probably forgetting somebody. Um, and then you had a lot of different artists, a lot of different artists. Uh, some, I, I think, some m- much better than others, frankly. 
Um, I, Bart's ears should have been left in cold storage. I, I don't know <laughs> why, why they brought Bart's ears back, but um, and you know the one I, I least liked on the uh, on the first ongoing was uh, I got to say my man Tom Rainey. I, I it looked way too exaggerated and cartoony for a book like okay what I bloodshot. So I wasn't vibing on that, but but other other of the artists were very good. Um, um, you had even uh, Valentine Delandro. Mm-hmm. Pre, uh, so there, there were some. It, it was just a lot of varying styles, though. I mean, I think reading it all in one fell swoop. I was really, I was really. Uh, it was very noticeable. Maybe it wouldn't have been as much if I was reading it monthly to see this just startling art artist changes from you know every uh, couple issues to issues. But but that said, um, loved the first arc where we're reintroduced to Bloodshot. Um, he is, uh, at the time being controlled by his, uh, by, by his company, by them giving him lots and lots of different backstory ID identities, which then they, they reset and recycle. So he thinks he's different people with different paths. Um, you know, he escapes with that. He's got, he's got, uh, he's got, you know, two females with him, you know, one's a Syot, one is not. Um, but I, I, he, he rescues the kids. I, I loved that whole thing. You know, I, I thought that whole part was very, very engaging. Um, I thought that was super cool. Um, I love the idea of, of, uh, of, um, um, the hard, uh, the hardcore. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I mean, again, it, I guess to me it was when it, when, when the hardcore is first introduced, I'm thinking, okay, this is like strike force moratory, you know, people given powers, but as a result, they have very short lifespans. And I thought, okay, I'm, I can get with this. But as I got into it, I, to, at least for me, I, I, I thought the book lost its way. I thought it lost its, the, the, I thought it lost the, the, the centralization of the characterization of bloodshot that we got in the first two arcs Okay, where it was just more about, well, frankly, I thought for a while the book was just too much about the hardcore versus Bloodshot. It, he was sort of he was just one piece to the puzzle, and I just didn't find most of the other characters as engaging. Um, I found myself really wanting more Bloodshot. Um, during that period, we have a couple things. We have the the I guess that was overlapping the Harbinger Wars because I didn't read the Harbinger Wars, but yeah. the, there's the battle with Toyo Harada. Now I know Toyo Harada. I've read some issues with him, but he is, yes, the most powerful being in the Valiant universe. Or no? I don't know if I'd say that he's he's an alpha, but I don't know if he's yeah. the alpha. He is. I mean, if if he isn't, he is number two. Yeah. So he's he's um. Who would be number one? Exo Manor? No. 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 He's no, Danchek. No. Oh, okay. So it, I don't know what the Harbinger Wars were about, other than I guess it was Harada and his crew versus Rising Spirit. Was that what it was, or was Project it like Rise, for, yeah? Harada's okay. always had a bone for Rising Spirit, probably because you can't control them. But okay, yeah. So so I you know again it was fine. I didn't I didn't I wasn't reading the the other stuff of the Harbinger Wars, but I followed along well enough, and it was a pretty straightforward as far as Bloodshot was involved, right? I mean Harada captured Bloodshot, stole some of his nanites. Was going to try and use them. It, he put them into a, a, a med bot that then kind of became this strange hybrid creature for a while. But 
that didn't last too long and Bloodshot got them back. Um, so that was fine. Um, they also had a, a very long arc with Archer and Armstrong, um, where it was Rising Spirits versus the Sect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I gotta say, you know, the one book I have read reasonably frequently is Archer and Armstrong, and I did not enjoy that 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 arc at all. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't enjoy the 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 seeing them battle. It just didn't feel I don't know. It just it it didn't, it didn't feel like it was well well constructed. I didn't for characters that I do like. I just I didn't feel like it really was. It wasn't the Archer and Armstrong that I have come to like so much. Right now, you did read into the Lemire stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, I will admit, even though I love the character, the original Bloodshot version two storyline was a little scattered. It tend, tended yes, to okay. meander. Once Lemire gets at the control, he owns this character now. The, yeah. The, so that's the, what I was going to say. So I'm, I'm reading along, and that was the first two volumes. That was 25 issues, and the 25th issue was um, was an anniversary issue. That's where we we see uh, the main story was uh, was by Louis Larosa. Mm. Gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. Yeah, he's uh, and the backup was by Chaikin. Yeah, little, little couple page thing by Chaikin, which was cool to see him draw. You know, he drew him in a very different way. I mean, a very Chaikin esque way, but but right. drew him very thick, like very like like sturdy. You know, um, so that was all goodness. And then, like you said, you, Bloodshot Reborn starts, and that picks up clearly after the Valiant and uh, K, who was the geomancer, who was. Bloodshot's love interest, as we know from the Valiant, dies, and as she's dying, she takes away the Nanites from from him. Yep. So he's so in Bloodshot Reborn, he's living in Colorado as a human, as a regular human, just essentially trying to trying to distract himself because he, he just can't he can't get past his his time as Bloodshot and all the thousands of people he killed, and he's just basically whiling away his life. But suddenly, a guy that's on that's dressed like bloodshot is killing people. And so even though he's a human, he puts on a shirt with the red, red circle and Punisher style. He goes out to, to try and end this. Uh, and we go from there. And I have to say that, um, to your point, the, the, the first 25 issues are very scattered. And I, like I said, I, I liked some of it, especially the first part a lot, Thought other parts weren't even disliked a little bit of it. Um, but man, I mean, not as though I, not as if I needed another confirmation of what a great writer that Jeff is, but <laughs> but I mean, Bloodshot Reborn is a phenomenal comic book. Yes, oh, thank you. And Miko Swarin, yeah, who I haven't seen a lot of his work. I think published work, but I've seen him at cons a lot. And as you guys know, there's pretty much no one that we meet at a con that I haven't decided if I want to try and get art from. And I felt like I never really knew if Miko was like a, an excellent artist. I couldn't I couldn't quite tell from. But I would see if his sketches per se. My God, I think he's phenomenal, yeah. and I think the book is so well served by having a consistent team on it. Sure, that consistent artistic voice to go with Lemire. So I, I think the Reborn is like it's a phenomenal comic. I think it's 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 it is it is worthy of the level of praise with which you have bestowed upon it. Oh, I like hearing that. Look at you. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm in, dude. I'm in. I'm going to start reading Bloodshot, uh, like on the on the ongoing. I'm ca- I, I I think I'm caught up. I think. Did you read Bloodshot Island? Well, no. That just, I mean, that was no. that was in that was in the recent box. Yeah. Okay, but I'm going to have a reason to actually open the box for once. Yep. Well, the the box says because Bloodshot Island is um, 
what was it, four parts, five parts, and then that goes into Bloodshot USA. Oh, Bloodshot USA is what was in was in the most recent box, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I still have, I, I, I'm two issues away from finishing Bloodshot Island. But uh, Swayan's fantastic, but I think... The, he was the one who kicked it off, right? Yes. I wasn't, yes. I wasn't, yeah, that, very, was, that was a little too much for me. Very, very detailed, very... Um, very sculpted look, but the man that really does it for me is Louis LaRosa. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, he is just phenomenal on, you know, I don't want to discount Miko's work because he's great, but I think LaRosa is the perfect artist for the Bloodshot book. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, like I gotta say, I just, uh, I feel a little dumb for having waited this long to read this. No, book. man, you take a stand and you ah, but it's, you dig in, and I, I got no, it. Not that. I wasn't even digging in. It was just that just got got you know uh, and ongoing. You know, you get, it's just hard. it's daunting to jump in. And, I mean, sure. I just read four years worth of it, right? It's just it's daunting. How about Lemire's Blood Squirt? He's awesome. It is awesome, and I have to say, like, while I get your point about Larosa, and I do think Larosa is phenomenal. I just love some of the things that Swar did because you're right. Like he's he's almost photorealistic in, yeah. in his way, but like that first arc when he's when 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 Bloodshot's hallucinating and he's got the little dude and then he's got K. Like I lo- like I think he showed a lot of different artistic styles, especially you know on the same panels, and I appreciate that. I think it was it was great stuff. So right. so you've met Magic, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, you read the Analog Man. That's the first, um, I believe that's, that that's the first La Rosa arc, I think, the, the analog. I, I think you're right. That's, that's the, uh, Jason, you probably would have. Yeah. Oh, that's volume were, three. No, that's volume three. Yeah. That's the last thing I read. Nice. Yeah. That's the last, that's the, that, cause I, I had, um, I read it and I had the two hardcovers and then I read the three Bloodshot Reborn trades. And so anything that's come after that, I haven't seen. So I guess is that. Is the next thing Bloodshot Island, or is that? Yes. Is yeah, that? yeah, and Swayan comes back for that. Okay. And cool. and you're introduced to um, the Bloodshot family. Let's call them. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a great arc. Yeah. Oh, you you ain't seen nothing yet. I hope uh, you made me so happy. You, you made David and myself happy. I knew this. Yes, yeah, such a great book. Is there? Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. And we are back with a new man in the fourth chair. Well, he's not really a new man. He's been in the fourth chair before. Uh, our our uh, our hermano, our buddy from uh, the West Side, creator of uh, one of the greatest uh, comics uh, on the sh- on the shelves for all you grappling fans, and a man who is largely responsible for uh, the wonderful. Uh, logo art that has adorned uh, our visage for the 2016 anim, and uh, long overdue for a return visit, uh, our buddy Mr. Jay Gonzo, Mr. Jason Gonzalez. Yeah. Up, buddy? How's it going, guys? How you doing, man? It's about time. You're doing all right, right? <laughs> yeah. Dude, I can't believe uh, I, I, I uh, going to going to ten year high school reunions and shit. Oh, I know. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was interesting. It was great listening to twenty-eight-year-olds talk about getting old. Yeah, man, they're still kids. Yeah. <laughs> I know. You got, you got a young lass. Yeah. Yes, I do. <laughs> Be- because I can. That's why. That's yeah. right. That's right. Because that's how you do. I can't blame you. So what's up, dude? How you doing? 
I'm doing all right. I just uh, just got back from uh, the skate park with a buddy of mine. Um, yeah, just uh, settling in, trying to make sure all my my uh, computers stuffs are working. Um, yeah, it's that's been a it's been a slog lately. Actually, my my technology has not been my friend, but uh, but I'm doing great. I'm you know, talking to you guys finally. It's been uh, it's only been a couple of months, so it seems weird. I just saw you guys a few months ago, or what is that? A month and a half ago? Yeah, not even. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and that October, went by way yeah. too quick. Yeah, it's like we did dinner. You know, I talked to each of you for about like ten minutes each, and then uh, I was like back to the grind of the con. So this will be fun. It's tough when you all are set up uh, right with the with with the table. I mean, like, well, it's good. I mean, it's good and all, but it's 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 tough to break away. I know everybody has grand ideas of like, oh, I'll break off and and go do some shopping for an hour or two, or I'll break off and chat up other people. But it's just hard, right? Once you get once you get set up and you're you're drawing and talking, it's just it's hard to ever ever get up other yeah. than the take a piss and grab a, a water, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we have help there. Um, they'll watch your table while you, you know, go to the restroom but or maybe grab food but not, like, go shop for an hour or something. And, and uh, I uh, I went solo to New York, so um, I had help one day for a couple of hours. Uh, my buddy Dave Grilly helped me out. That was fun. But uh, So I got to, like, wander around for, I think I had about two, three hours maybe that one day, but mm-hmm. uh, the... the the better part of what I'm selling when I'm set up at a con is kind of myself, you know, at least my uh, my point of view, I guess. Uh, so it's it's uh, I, I find people, especially with indie publishers like myself or indie artists, indie creators uh, like myself, uh, kind of want to interact with the creator. And uh, even though um, when I go to like Heroes and, and my daughter's there, uh, you know, Quinn's great. She knows the whole, you know, the, my whole spiel. She knows how to sell the stuff. You know, she's she's fantastic and. Yeah. Uh, but still, people want it. They want to talk to me. You know, they want me to sign it. They want me to sketch for them and stuff. So, uh, I try to not be gone all that much. But um, man, New York, I could have used some help. <laughs> like that would have been nice. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, New York's crazier and crazier every year. I mean, uh, what did they say there were this year? Like one hundred and sixty, right? Isn't that what they said? Yeah, I think sixty thousand uh, people. Yeah, I thought I heard like uh, it, it was bigger than New York. Or, I'm sorry, bigger than San Diego last year and this year, like handily so. Yeah, which is which is yeah, it's hard to fathom. Well, it's New know. York is around it, so so much like San Diego takes over downtown San Diego. Like there's a right. square mile of nothing but convention going on. Like you you walk a mile down the road, you go in to buy, get a bite to eat, and there's people in costumes there. Uh, New York is just so big on its own that it just gets subsumed by the city. You know, like you you walk a block and suddenly everyone's just in suits or whatever. You know, like you don't you don't even realize there's a giant ass convention going on a block away. Yeah. Well, uh, for me, personal great news, uh, haven't ever been to San Diego, but my wife, uh, just got back from San Diego visiting a good friend who just moved there and she loved it. So she's very open to the idea of going to San Diego as a ah. family. Well, I go to the con and then they do their thing. So we'll see, but it's still very hard to arrange San Diego. I mean, yeah, I, I guess, a- I guess people say it's hard to arrange New York now too. I guess we're spoiled in that regard because, you know, we've, we've been, fortunate enough to get the press hook up ever since the very first one. So it's for us, it's just filling out that application and getting the approval. But it seems like it's New York's getting ridiculous too, in terms of just being a, a regular attendee, trying to get a ticket and a hotel and all that. So I guess it's, it's maybe no better. Yeah. I, I lucked out um, in that. Uh, I have a friend who lives in Brooklyn. So I just stayed out there and took the train in every day, which was great. Um, and uh, San Diego, uh, I have a couple of inns. Um, I mean, I can tell you what my kind of trade secrets are uh, off the air because I don't want everyone doing it. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, it's a little a little more money, but a lot less hassle. Um, at least on the like finding places to stay uh, tip. So I, I like I like that a lot. And um, 
like I was fortunate enough to to get really close a couple of years that when I actually exhibited, I could just like walk over, just park my my car where I was staying, and just had to walk my stuff over. I was like that close, and and um, so yeah, but but San Diego is just it's. I mean, you can't get out of bed for less than a hundred dollars in that place. Like you just you know, just getting coffee in the morning and getting to where you're going, suddenly you're you know you're just hemorrhaging money left and right. But it is a great con. Um, it's also a great con to take a break from on a day. Like don't go Saturday. Like go check the city out. Like it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, we always plan to to do that in New York to like make Saturday a day that we're not really spending at the con. But this year we we ended up being at the con on like most of Saturday. I feel like we didn't really. Yeah, the the weather played a part. That's weather. true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's yeah. let's drop some bombs. Do it. Is 2017 going to be the year we see the La Mano del Destino collection? Uh, it should be. I uh, so five is done. I mean, we talked about this, but I'll, I'll let the listeners know. So five's done and has been for like more than two months now. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to set the money aside to get it printed. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, just man, it's been. <laughs> you know, I, I uh, uh, I'm a freelance illustrator and graphic designer. Like I don't I don't have a real job. And, and uh, so when things like cars break down or like my teeth need to get extracted and stuff like that, uh, I you know I don't have health insurance. I don't you know like I gotta. I got to pay all that stuff out of pocket, and um, man, it just seems like every time I, I, I'm looking at, uh, you know, the amount of money I need to print it, uh, something comes up and just takes a huge chunk out of it. I'm like, oh, I'll just make it up next month, and then it's been one thing after another. So five is done. Uh, I, I, you know, I, when I was in New York, I was feeling good about getting, um, about making the money there to get it printed. But as soon as I got back, like I literally was just in the starting blocks ready to do it. I just had a few minor, like designy things to do, and then I came back and I got. I get hit with a couple of things that I had to pay for. Um, that, it's just as it was happening, I'm just like I literally just laughed about it. I'm like, of, of course, of course, I can't actually pay this. Right. Um, so, so five, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, five is is done. It's coming out. It it definitely will happen. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, at this point, within the next four or five weeks. But I hate I hate even saying that because every time I say that, it's like it's like six or seven weeks. Or, but so it's done. Um, I'm working diligently on six uh, to wrap it up. Um, and, and, and I'm on the fence about, um, how long I want to let the, the kind of be breathing room between the last issue and the trade paperback. Um, but I definitely want to make the trade something like special and nice and, and kind of a reward to the people who did buy the all six issues individually. I don't want them just to straight up double dip. Um, I think we talked a little bit about this, so I'm going to do it in, um, English and Spanish. So it's going to be nice. a flip book. So it'll be half in English flip book side will be half in Spanish. Uh, I've talked to a lot of really cool people who want to do some pinups uh, in the center part of it, like the the, the middle matter, I guess, of that book. Um, mm-hmm. So, and and I'm going to do it slightly oversized, uh, so that it, you know it's it's bigger. It'll still be on cool paper, maybe not quite as thin and cheap as the newsprint I put it on now, but mm-hmm. but that's all part of the design aesthetic, you know. Um, but definitely be uncoated, and it'll still uh, it'll uh, enhance the the look of the overprinting that i do and the the kind of you know the picking and the the you know weathered edges and stuff like i i don't want to do the uh i don't want to do the cleaned up version the you know the the marvel trade uh kind of like you know taking a kirby page and putting it on like nice stark white paper and you know flatting all the colors out and um yeah i'm not i'm not doing that so um yeah i, I definitely i want to get it done you know i'm, I'm hoping to have uh, six out before summer, and then that way maybe winter of 2017 the trade will come out. But um, you know I might just have 2017 kind of be the year that I go around selling you know like five and six around, and then 2018 that con season be like the trade paperback season. So uh, I, you know a lot of it is just kind of how steady a work I can hold on to to get my bills paid. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, which you know 
How's this for an idea? Would you consider a slipcase before the trade comes out that you can sell oh, interesting. all six issues to the people that have never seen La Mano del Destino while you're selling issue five and six? You know, um, yes, I've considered uh, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm at a point in my life where uh, I, you know, because I'm a freelancer um, and uh and I and I, I kind of I've had a lot of deals with people where I'm just doing like you know project work and uh, I'm at a point where I know myself well enough where I tell people just to pay me when I'm done uh, because I don't know what my life what hold <laughs> what my life holds because I can take someone's like you know few thousand dollars to do some project and then go skateboarding and then fall and hurt my hand and then like oh shit now I can't work for six weeks and now their project six weeks behind so uh, I, I'm very wary of. Uh, trying to get prepaid in any way shape or form mm-hmm. uh it just because my life is so wacky and has been kind of like for the past five or six years and um you know the kind of uh adjustment to my lifestyle that would would uh create the kind of stability that would make me not have to do these sorts of things is not not the kind of lifestyle change i'm willing to make at this point i've kind of enjoyed being a freelancer um so i i, I know like things like steady jobs and, and sort of that sort of thing that would kind of make it a little more uh, easy for me to set a schedule uh i'm just not going to get into so i i you know the the downside of that is is like you know with my freedom I, i've got a lot of hecticness that has to unfortunately trickles into my work and makes things like uh you know like pre-selling anything i you know i i i, I just i don't like that you know i don't like those kickstarter people who don't produce what they say they were going to and they get their money uh i, I don't i don't want to be the guy who gets the money up front and then you know, because I don't want to be—I don't have to be on like every show at explaining like, oh, you know, so, this, that, and the other thing happened, and it, it couldn't happen, and I'm real sorry. Like, I don't I'd rather shipping. You don't want to be Tony Harris, is what you're saying? <laughs> exactly. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> or fucking so letters. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, um, so I, I, I feel good in that. Uh, you know, I uh, my issue one came out the same week as um, as uh, non-player issue one. So I feel oh like my I've, God, that's hilarious. you're ahead of the game. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I've beaten that guy, right? I've got four more issues yes, that he has. So, uh, uh, and then uh, my friend Joe Benitez, uh, our our issue ones of his Mechanica and my uh, and my Lamano had come out at the same time, and so for for a while there, it was briefly ahead of him. I think my four came out before his four, but he's really knuckled down and just is kicking ass on the on the volume of shit he's putting out, and so he's kind of smoking. So he was kind of my my. Uh, friendly rival for a while and then and then he's just suddenly he's like yeah i've got nine more issues out what now motherfucker and, yeah. and uh i got i got no answer i'm like oh well i've i've got children and a wife and a you know a, yeah. a weird kind of part-time job and and uh some health stuff i had to get taken care of and you know i mean we all have lives and it's just uh yeah you know i have to say though my, my fan base has been super patient and really supportive and very understanding and and uh and i think i talked about this on the last time i was on but like when you start a project like this, you don't know what your fan base is going to be, and uh, and I, I was real worried because I I did work a place where um for another creative type and uh, and he you know I want to say I don't put words in his mouth but I definitely uh, was did, wasn't the the fondest of his fan base and uh, and and I don't know what his attitude toward it was but I definitely um you know I, there was a thought that I had it was like oh what if what if those guys like my book <laughs> you know what if those are the people and I've been super lucky in that. Um, and I think just by the the virtue of the fact that like my my comic is such an extension of who I am, that the people who seem to enjoy it seem to be very like minded, and so uh, I'm, I really lucked out with my fan base. I'm super appreciative of them, and um, 
and uh, and and especially with their patients and stuff. And I think that a lot of them are are, are similar types to me, where they're they understand the instabilities of of uh, being a freelance lifestyle. So uh, so thanks to them, and and I really I, I I'm committed to getting this done, guys. Yeah, you're lucky we got mad love for you because I would normally be all over <laughs> your, your shit for for taking as long as you've taken, but. For some oh, yeah, reason, I'm okay. With, I'm okay with you doing it this long, taking this long. But it doesn't really seem like it's been that long, though. I mean, 2011, it, it, right? Yeah, 2011 was issue one. Man. It's, <laughs> it is ridiculous. Uh, well, I'm, I'm like one of the ants. I don't notice the passage of time that much. Then I guess. <laughs> well, I think I was telling someone this the other day. Uh, I do a little bit of stand up, and I'm trying to work into a bit. But I feel like you can tell how old you are by how how long ago 10 years ago seems, right? Because right, when you're like right. 20 something, I'm like, fuck, that was 10 years ago. Oh my God, that's like half my lifetime. And then in your thirties, you're like thinking, oh, that was, that wasn't that long ago, right? Was that, oh man, that was 10 years, you know? And now like, I think of things that happened 10 years, years ago as being new, you know, like, well shit, yeah, that was just 10 years ago. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That iPod thing just came out. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I, we were talking about, um, the strokes first album, uh, this is it. And, uh, and I was like, God, oh, that, that thing's, you know, to me, the Strokes seem like a new band. I'm like, yeah, album 15 fucking years ago. Dude, I find that all the time now with pop culture, right? Like, like movies or albbums or whatever. And, I, and I'll be like, oh, it's the 20th anniversary of this. I'm like, like what? Like, I, yeah, that, that shit just dropped. That was the hotness. I just like, what? Like, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, It's like Paul's yeah. Boutique. That just, exactly. yeah, that yeah, just came right. out. Right. Yep, exactly. I was at that uh, that high school reunion, and the music they were playing seemed very new to me. You know, it was all music from their their senior year or their years in high school. Right. And I kept turning to my wife. I'm like, "Is this really from when you were in high school?" You're like, "This is." She's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, dude. My yeah, my wife graduated in 2006. She just left so, room, so I can say, <laughs> no, right? That's yesterday, isn't it? But it literally was ten years ago. Yeah, Oof, bananas. Lucky you, my man." <laughs> yeah, no, she's great. She's fucking amazing. Yeah, you, you'll meet her sometime. We'll we'll uh, we'll make that. Yeah, uh, everyone who sees her just just like I I um I do a bit because you guys know I lost like all that weight like fairly oh, recently. Yeah. And um, no, oh, thank you, thank you. And I, well, I do like the bit I do about it is like uh yeah, I, I had to lose all that weight because I have this this young hot wife and I wanted people I wanted it to look like we belong together unless <laughs> like I have a ton of money or a giant cock because I can't pay either of those <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, I don't no have I don't have either of those problems. But there's something you said you really got me me interested about the fan base. Yes, because uh, being a creative person, you know that when you make something and release it into the world, your control ends then. Absolutely, you're done. So the the uh, concept of the desirability of getting it into the certain hands of a, of a certain group of people, as opposed to a different group group of people. That's kind of futile, isn't it? So, oh, yeah, yeah. I but mean, I, I mean, I, I understand that was, that was it. Concern of mine. You don't want to. I, mean, I did. Oh god. You, you don't want a group of of like. You don't want to have the same same fan base as My Little Pony. I understand that. But on the same token, what if you did? You know what I mean? They're still buying the book. Yeah, you know that's uh, okay. Um, I'm trying. To, I, I, you know, I just wanted it to be authentic to my vision right, right. like I, I i you know and I, I i've heard a lot of conversations about um like pandering cre- you know, creativity mm-hmm. that pans right and and i uh i wasn't about to do that i mean the, the impetus for making the book was my dissatisfaction with the inauthenticity of a lot of lucha libre products out there so um i just really wanted to lean in and make it as like chicano as i could right oh, like okay. as latino a project as as possible without without overdoing it right like i didn't want to um I didn't want to be like militant Chicano, but I definitely didn't 
didn't uh, have any consideration for people who might be uh, put off by it being called La Mano del Destino instead of some uh, Latinoized version of an Anglo word like, you know, El Revenjo or something like that, right? Like I, which I could have done. <laughs> um, El Revenjo. I like that a lot, though. I, but I, you, I love the title. That's that's one of yeah, my yeah, favorite things of the book. So if you look at the title and you, you're you just like – if you can't figure out La Mano – I mean if you haven't been in a bathroom and seen like La Vases Las Manos, like if, you know, or uh, you know, like well, you know, people know hand is mano and like uh, – and then you know, destino is just destiny with the O at the end of it. If you, and if you can't get past that, if you're if, – uh, then yeah. my book's probably not for you. Right. You, know? you can figure that <laughs> out. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, and so I was fine with that and, and – uh, you know, my, my, my thought was I would just, you know, I, I would fly my flag, my, my Chicano flag, and I would see who saluted. And, uh, you know, and if, uh, you know, if some weird, you know, I do have, you know, strange pockets of enthusiasts that I, that I hadn't anticipated. <laughs> and, um, and, and, like, uh, like, and, like, and, like, and, uh, well, no, I mean, yeah, there's that. Yeah. And there, there's, uh, you know, but that's fine. Like I, you know, like I, no. I, I lived in, you know, in LA for most of my life and, or geez, not even that. It's like only half of it at this point. But, um, you know, there's a lot of like, uh, Anglos who are like, you know, just steeped in, in uh, Chicano culture, Latino culture, just, you know, by proxy. And so I, you know, one of the foremost authorities, the dude I go to when I have like, like Lucha Libre questions about like the history of Lucha Libre is a guy named Keith Rainville. Um, and he's, uh, you know, he's just a white dude who just really into Lucha Libre. And, uh, I, I don't, uh, negate his authority because he doesn't have, um, some ethnicity. So I, like, I have no problem with that, but there, there is, um, there's like a weird, uh, design, you know, I mean, I, I guess that that's not weird, but there's a, like a, there's a group of like designers like my book. They see that I'm a, they can see that I'm a designer and how I put it together. And so, um, you know, I, I have this, uh, this group of, uh, you know, just graphic designers who are really into it for nothing other than like the color palette that I use and, and some of the processes and, and, uh, and they enjoy the story as well. And, and, and I hadn't anticipated people who hadn't anticipated that aspect of it, pulling people in, uh, to the point where they would, you know, actually buy the book, you know, that seemed like, uh, it's kind of an added bonus for the people who would like the subject matter and not necessarily something that was, uh, had enough gravity to, to pull people in, but, but it does. And, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's cool. I, you know, I appreciate them and, and I get people who are like, yeah, I, I don't know shit about Lucha Libre, but I picked your book up because I like the color palette and the design. And, and man, this is really cool. Like, I yeah. can't wait to see the rest. So that's that's always fun to kind of see those kind of conversions happen. But yeah, you know, um, I think we talked a little bit about this, but there had been some uh, some animation interest in my comic uh, a, a few years ago that that's taken that had been drawn out. That was one of the things that kind of derailed me was um, was this studio interest that turned into producer interest that turned into agent interest that then turned into nothing. Um, but, uh, it, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work and process to get to nothing, to get to a no in Hollywood. But, um, one of the things I had to turn down was this producer who produces huge blockbuster movies. Um, he is, he's, uh, he's been, he's, he's been a producer on some movies that have literally made billions of dollars. Uh, he wanted to produce the, the, the show or the, the comic as a show, as a, as animation, um, but the stipulations that he had, uh, where I was uncomfortable with, he, he wanted to, um, his ultimate goal is he wanted on Fox prime time, I guess is kind of the, <laughs> was, was the overall thought there. And then, cause that's how he thinks, cause he makes billion dollar movies. So he thinks big four quadrant movies, this has, this to be successful has to be on Fox prime time. And so to do that, you've got to turn this, you know, admittedly niche product into something that's more four quadrant and, uh. And, and, and so he was noting it in a way that was literally all the things that I was like railing against was, you know, like, you know, uh, him keeping his mask on all the time, never seeing his face, uh, the title of it, 
the uh, you know the amount of violence that was in it and stuff like that and and, um, and uh, I was just like I, I don't even know that I could work on that show that's not like that sounds like a great show it's just not the show that uh, that I could be a part of because that's not the thing that I do and um, and so I, I feel like uh, I feel like for my book to be kind of mass market it would have to be such a thing uh, it would be so divorced from what I created that it wouldn't be my thing anymore so. Um, so yeah, I, I guess it's a long-winded way of saying that uh, I, I don't I don't feel like it, my fans would ever be my Little Pony fans, but if for some reason they were, I'd be okay with it as long as uh, they didn't put any uh, demands on me to make it more this or more that. You right. know, if they're okay with what it is, that's fine. Um, you know, like I, I work in uh, in advertising most of the time, and um, and uh, I'm subject to the uh, the design and marketing sensibilities of. Um, enthusiasts but not professionals you know like i i I, i'm forced to acquiesce to to, uh, pedestrian design sensibilities on a daily basis i know those people uh, yeah yeah yes you do (laughs) and so uh so when it comes to my comic i I get to be uncompromising because i'm doing it all myself well that makes a whole lot of sense so i know we're talking at least two years away since we're 18 in the trade maybe but do you have uh, another comic in you i do i've got uh I've got another story I want to do with the mono, but I'm going to do one in between them. And it's, uh, I guess I can talk about it cause it's my, it's my idea. So I had a, I had a, um, I had a pitch, uh, I had, a, I had a contact at DC for a brief amount of time that, uh, I guess I kind of just lost touch with. I don't even know if they're still there, but, uh, he was nice enough to allow me just to kind of lob ideas at him here and there. And, and, and he would consider them. Um, and I had, a, I had an idea for, um, Captain Marvel Jr. Um, and uh and i pitched it and uh and it went nowhere but uh i had a few pitches most of them if i filed the serial numbers off they weren't quite the same like they were kind of predicated on a lot of legacy uh and a lot of history within the dc universe but this one uh, i realized that if i if i filed the serial numbers off of it i it would it would still be just as cool an idea because it was kind of a, a new take on on uh the Marvel mythos of uh you know captain marvel and and uh, and, and uh, captain marvel junior and uh and so uh and I so I think I want to do that. I think I want to do this um this idea I had for uh you know for for Shazam Jr or whatever I'm going to call it when I file the serial numbers off of it but mm-hmm. I had some cool uh you know I had some cool designs that I can uh, maybe you know just palette swap and they're fine still cuz they were redesigns you know they're they're you know if I just change the symbol from a lightning bolt to something else it's just completely something else. So uh I really want to get going on that um I do have another couple kind of projects and offers. I just got an email about one today that I have to sort out if I can really do or not. But I can't really talk about that because I, you know, I'm not even the guy yet. So um, yeah, I, I do have, I do know what I want to do. So I mean, I'm definitely gonna. Um, and the Captain Marvel Junior thing that I, I think can happen uh, online is like strips or maybe single pages and then get collected. And so I feel like not having to put entire books out at once w- is going to make it easier for me. Um, you know, I'll just be done at, done with a, a page and it can go up. And, and so, um, yeah, I'm going to do that until, until it ends, until it gets to its, its, uh, until the first arc, I guess, ends. And then I'll jump, I'm going to jump back into Lomano and do another Lomano story. And then probably back to do another, another one of like the three ideas I have and then back to Lomano. But right now I think I have, uh, I have two more arcs of Lomano stories I want to tell, kind of a trilogy of books. Um, and then I have, uh, at least three other kind of ideas that I have. Uh, and then whatever work I can, you know, shake out. I mean, I still have, uh, 
I still have a great Buana Beast pitch that I'd love DC to just be like, yeah, we need, you know, yeah. just get to that sooner because you know, DC has to. I mean, well, both companies have to put out comics with their characters to maintain the copyright. So at some point, they're going to need something with Buana Beast. And I'm going to I'm going to say this on every podcast uh, that I'm ever on and all the exposure. So that at some point, someone's going to go, oh, yeah, we've got to put a Buana Beast book out soon. Oh, Gonzo <laughs> wants to do that fucking cool out of piece. Let's let him do that goddamn book he wants to do, you know, because it's not going to mess with anything. I can't see. DC editors, you hear here, Boana yeah. Beast, Jay Gonzo, let's make it happen. That would be cool. Yes. Yeah. That would be. Love to do it. So how's the stand-up going, man? Uh, it's going pretty well. I just did a, uh, I did a theme show a couple weeks ago. Um, I've been doing a lot of those. So it's weird because you kind of write material for a show that you don't really get to use again. Um, and so, uh, you know the the twenty day hiatus really showed when I got up when I got back because you know, I did uh, I did New York and then I did uh, CXC uh, slash SoulCon in in Columbus and then uh, and then and then I drove to all of those so I drove from Arizona to New York and then from New York to Columbus and then Columbus back to Arizona and so I was gone for for twenty days and then I think I took another week off and then finally got back on stage and yeah I was, I was rusty I was real rusty <laughs> but. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and uh, it, it's been going cool. You know, it, it's something I do just to fuck around. Like I enjoy it. I have fun. Uh, I'm not terrible at it. <laughs> I wouldn't use a word. I wouldn't use a word like good, but I definitely am not terrible. So, uh, and and I have fun. Um, and it's not the you know to really make it as a stand up requires some serious dedication that uh, I just don't have the schedule for. You know, but uh, I am hunched over a, an artboard. Uh, you know, by myself most of the day, so I get a lot of time to just think about dumb shit i want to say on stage and and uh and i'm a little pent up you know because i haven't talked to human beings for 18 hours at a time so i, I love being on stage because i have a microphone and everyone has to shut up and listen to me yeah. maybe i should talk to my kids on a microphone then you think they'd right? they'd, yeah. they'd listen to me because you know they don't do it now i gotta try that hey, how old you, are they uh 19 15 and 12 at the lost causes man <laughs> <laughs> The baseball bat hasn't worked. Maybe the microphone will. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I can. You guys s- want to talk some comics? Yeah, I I would just want to say I can see uh, La Mano del Destino team up book. Oh, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a, a guy here, uh, Super Impacto. This guy Albert does a book. Uh, we're gonna do. I think in the beginning of next year we're gonna do like a. Uh, I don't know. I think like we're each gonna do eight pages, something oh, like that, like team mm-hmm. up book. Um, yeah, so I'm going to do that. Um, I've talked to some other people about like lending him out. Um, none of it's really coming to fruition. I have no problem with that. Like, uh, I just, you know, like I, I did the book. I wanted to make something because I worked at a company where I couldn't show my kids anything I did for like, you know, four years. So, uh, I, I made my book so that it could be an every age book. And so my only condition is that it's not a, a, a mature reader book. Like I, I, I won't do a mature reader book with Lomano. Like there will be no right. gritty, grim version of him. How about a, uh, Santo y Blue Demon, maybe teaming oh, I, up with the the famous luchadors. I, I would love, I fucking love that to happen. Um, the El Santo license is a very because I've looked into this is a very complicated thing. You have, nice. Uh, yeah, he he um, he has a lot of kids from a lot of different women. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the estate is in flux, let's say, uh-huh. uh, and, and and just who owns what is kind of vague. And my Spanish is not good enough for me to negotiate terms with people, uh, especially with the complexities of that. So, uh, I, I, they would have to approach me and I'd have to be assured that it's someone who, who could make the deal. Um, I'm not really sure about the Blue Demon. I know Blue Demon Jr. is using his gimmick, so I don't know that the CMLL 
owns his gimmick because they own him now. Like, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. The CMLL is a little more free than like McMahon and his his uh, locking people down. But even McMahon is kind of having to accept people with their names now and, and their cachet just because of the Internet and, and the the popularity they come in with. He doesn't want to have to start from from zero. And so, um, you know, things like the Cruiserweight Classic have made uh, these indie guys, you know, uh, giving them a little more negotiating from a uh, position of strength so but anyway uh yeah i, I don't know who owns the blue demon one like you know like uh, milo would be great uh, oh yes and, yes and even like el, Sol- el solitario would be fantastic mm-hmm. um you know he was one of the first kind of like multimedia or like hurricane ramirez i think would be a perfect fit too because he was a wrestler created for a movie who then became a wrestler um no small salt a small side story here uh, I was at CXC, so we did Solcon one, day one, and then uh, day two we all moved over to the library and were part of of, of uh, CXC uh, in Columbus, Ohio, in the library there. And we're setting up in the morning, and uh, Sergio Aragones is talking to the dude next to me, have, and they're chatting, and I'm just kind of smiling because it's Sergio right there. And he finishes the conversation, and then he's, he's like, he'd been kind of side-eyeing me the whole time. Finishes the conversation, and then scoots over to me, and he's like, oh, you do Lucha Libre comic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, hey, can I tell you a story? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can absolutely tell me a story. <laughs> so, uh, so Sergio told me this great story about an interaction he had with Hurricane Ramirez when he was a kid. And, uh, yeah, just Sergio Aragona is telling you Lucha Libre stories about when he was a child is, is kind of the best thing on the planet. That's pretty awesome. That cool. is. Yeah. Now, have you ever tried to get, uh, La Mano into the hands of Robert Rodriguez? Cause uh, this uh, seems he, like something that he would be really interested in. Uh, so, um, let me, I'm trying to think how I can talk about this. Uh, oh, there's a story. Uh, nice. Uh, so okay, so someone I know does a, does a comic book similar to mine, and he had he had talked, and but he also works in animation, and I I don't know that I can or can't say his name, so I'm not gonna. So anyway, so he had talked to Rodriguez about developing his comic into an animated or live action uh, show, and uh, and Rodriguez was like, hey, uh, I would love to have just a block of like Lucha Libre stuff in a row, you know, like Lucha Underground, your show. And he's like, what else do you have? And so my friend was like, cool. If you like Lucha Libre comics, you got to check out La Mano del Destino. It's like, cool. So he, he had name dropped me, which was fantastic. So a uh, small introduction happens. I got to meet Rodriguez, uh, gave him my comics. We had maybe three minutes of conversation. It's very pleasant. And, uh, and, and he's like, okay, cool. You know, that, that's that. He's got my property. He's got my contact info. That's cool. It's about all I expected, but you know, he's not the, He's not the guy, you know. I mean, he's got uh, there's a team of people who do his development, so I don't know if he leaves. With, you know, this is at, at San Diego too, so he's getting handed shit left and right. So I don't know if he leaves there and it just you know sits in his bag that he took back with him, or just sits in a pile of shit that he got handed to San Diego, or just gets shit canned. I don't know. So um, so that that had kind of uh, left me like, oh well, I guess nothing kind of became of that. Um, cut to I think earlier this year, uh, I'm scrolling through my Instagram feed. And there's an image of the cover of issue one of my comic on there mm. that I didn't post. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, oh, what, did one of my fans like post this or something? Yeah. So I look at it and it's, uh, it's Lucha Underground posting it. And they, they said like, then they, they put my name and website on there and everything. And they were like, uh, they made like a joke about like getting hit in the face or something. The uh, mask doesn't, uh, prevent, like doesn't, uh, stop you getting hit in the face or something like that. And, uh, and I'm, and so then I do some investigating and it was actually Lucha Underground was re, reposting something that um el ray network had posted and then el ray had posted it on their twitter account um and uh and i was like oh that's that's you know that's funny so like i uh i thanked them on twitter and tagged them in my thank you and then they started following me and then i 
let them know like, hey, thanks for the shout out. Really appreciate that. And and so we, we had a nice little back and forth, uh, you know, talked for for a few minutes, you know, via Twitter messages. And, and uh, so long story short, they know who I am. Like they're 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 aware of me and they're aware of what I do. Uh, I have no idea what's happening over in that end of like development. So uh, uh, I don't. I mean, they could have just discovered me online. Um, I seem to think that uh, that somehow Rodriguez was interested enough to have handed my books off to someone else who has some kind of awareness over there. I was like, hey, you should check this out, and and get to the point where they they posted it on their on their uh, Twitter feed. So um, yeah, it's it's a small world that we all kind of know each other. Yeah, that is cool. These, cool. these things are so complex, aren't they? Crazy, yeah, right? you know, uh, Hollywood, the the whole two year saga of Hollywood and me. Um, listen, everyone was super nice. The lunches are always very nice; they're delicious. Uh, but it's <laughs> it is it is like trying to get a bill passed. It is, it is ridiculous, <laughs> yeah, yeah. complicated, and negotiate. And who knows what you know? Like someone there could have been a huge advocate for me, but he had to he had to take the no on my project so that he could get some other thing done like i don't i don't know right so um all i know now is that uh, a i'm not doing any more work because i have uh i have character turnarounds i've got backgrounds i've got uh like three shooting scripts i've got uh what if i have character bibles I've, I've got enough to sell the show and so at this point uh nobody gets any more free work from me right so if uh if some studio or network or whatever sees sees the stuff i have but has notes for me and they want me to revise it before we, they take it to their next person. Because there's people whose job it is just to find shit and bring it to the next person, right? So they're not decision makers. They're just fine, they're just, just scouts, right? Um, so if, if the scout needs something to change so that he can claim some involvement in the process when it goes, goes up to the next person in the chain of command, uh, they need me to do anything. I'm not doing it for free anymore. Like I, I literally lost two years working on all this animation shit. And so uh, – yeah, I mean that's just kind of like, and that that kind of separates out the people who are serious about it from the people who aren't serious. So someone's like, "Oh, this is great. We just want to see X, Y, and Z." I'm like, "That's fantastic. I will just charge you X amount of money for that." And they go, "Oh, you know, that's that tells me they were just hoping that I would be like some young Motown singer, like, oh, where do I sign? You know, you can have all my songs." Uh, and it's just, you know, it's just not gonna happen. I, I, I just, I'm too old and cranky for that shit these days. So, um, yeah, if it happens, it happens. Uh, like Lamano as a comic exists, and it's everything I want it to be. Uh, have a real specific vision of what I want the animation to be. If live action or movie was to happen, I would just probably take a check and let somebody else, you know, best case scenario is they pay me for the rights and then, you know, just do nothing with it. <laughs> I don't have to get involved. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> cool. Right, but, you mentioned yeah. that you wanted to talk some comics. Yeah. Yeah. I got a, I got a question for you, Vince. Uh, for me? What? What? what we... Yeah. Well, I feel like, well, I got a question for all of you and we'll see, we'll see if, uh, if you can answer this question. Okay. So, uh, this is what, well, it's a valiant guy. So you'll probably know it cause it's a valiant Ooh, guy. What? It's a valiant theme week. So one of the early valiant guys, right? What was the only valiant guy to work on the same character at both DC and Marvel? Thinking about it? Yeah. What do you got? I uh, old mind works slow. <laughs> so, right. uh, so wait, you want me to give you the in both places? Yeah, he worked at the same. It was the same character's name, and it was a character that was at DC and a character that was at Marvel. Oh, uh, okay. Well, and this is like early, early Valiant. This is like Foundation. This is like Exo Man War. This is Solar. This is right. Same character oh, at DC. Would it be, would it be oh, Captain uh, Marvel? Nope. No. no. What do you got? What do you got, uh, David? I'm thinking. Well, you said old school. I, I was thinking. I was thinking Rusty. I was thinking Magnus. No, no. All right, I'll give you the. I'll give you the creator's name. It's uh, Bob Layton. Uh, Hercules. 
Yep, mm. absolutely. So uh, I I uh, I've been uh, been attending a few cons lately that that I haven't been actually exhibiting at, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, I've been trying to put one of the things a friend of mine, uh, Chris Sims, told me. Uh, he has a, a podcast called War Rocket Ajax. He uh, he talks about how his friend had told him what you what you need to do to put the joy back in cons is you need a book that you only collect at cons, something you go and look and buy only when you're at cons. You don't That's buy them online. Very you true. Don't try to very true. So yeah. uh, so I'm trying to put together a West Coast Avengers run. Uh, but I came across this guy who had uh, 25 books for $20. Uh, and so I was like, okay, well, he's got like 19 issues of, of West Coast Avengers that I bought a huge, huge chunk of. Uh, what else have you got lying around here? And he had uh, Bob Layton's Hercules Prince of Power uh, from 1984, which was the second series that Bob had done with Hercules. Uh, one had been in 1982. Mm-hmm. So after reading the – or after reading the four Prince of Power from 84, I went back and hunted down the Prince of Power from 82. And uh, it is fucking fantastic. Yeah. Do you guys remember this book? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that does, yeah. He still sells pages from those issues on the cheap. Oh, does he? I got to yeah. get some of these, man. Oh, like, yeah. I, cheap. Uh, I, I cannot believe how just bonkers an idea it is just to take their mythological character and, like, fling him into space. Like, yep. we're just going to go... Full cosmic with this like this kind of Thor you know ripoff or not really but uh and uh yeah so yeah Layton worked on on um what was the uh the Hercules book that was at uh, Hercules at, Unbound that's right over at at at, uh, at DC that uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez had done the first few issues of and then Layton just did like two issues of it but I think it's funny that he that he had this kind of this like Hercules stories in his head that he had to get out um, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, Stone eighty two. You know, he he does the, you know, and and it starts off with, um, you know, uh, well, I don't know. There's so much to talk about, but <laughs> yeah, he, you know, he starts off in a, in a, in Olympus, and uh, and Zeus kicks him out. He's because uh, it's like the, I guess Herc had been gone for a while, and he's coming home, and uh, it's like the day of silence there, and uh, you know, uh, Herc can't control his libido enough to not make noise to piss Zeus off, you know. So uh yeah I, I think uh, the you know um these maidens show up and uh and he's like oh you've got refreshments for me so of course all the clothes come off and then they make such a ruckus that Zeus comes in and is like what's going on and he didn't even know Herc was back and so he's rather than being glad to see his son he kicks him out he's like yo you got it you're banished from 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 Olympus and and Herc's like yo uh well how long do I have to be on earth this time and he's like no no I'm not sending you to a place where people worship you as a god you're out you're out in space man you got to you got to figure out your life and uh yeah, so so you know the first issue he gets uh, he gets hooked up with a Regellian recorder. Yep. That uh, that I kind of thought was Machine Man the first time I saw it. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It's like the same. Um, yeah. There's a lot of weird. Like this this marks such a strange period in Marvel's history because it's like tail end Bronze Age, but Leighton has such a such a weird kind of middle style. Like there's a lot of this book that looks like that Marvel house style kind of Kirby by way of Bishema sure. that just kind of defines Marvel through like the late seventies and early eighties. But there are pieces in here that I'm sure Rob Liefeld saw when he was a kid. You know what I mean? Like that exact panel mm-hmm. is, you know, it's Hercules fighting like Red Wolf uh, who showed like the future version of Red Wolf. Happened. Oh yeah. We should put, yeah, this happens in the 24th century, I think like, and, um, there's like panels where he's fighting him and you could easily change that for cable and Deadpool, like just the position of everybody, you know, costume swap. And it's the exact panel Rob would have, would have drawn. It's just, it's such a a harbinger of like this nineties art style. Um, but also just most of, you know, or peppered with that, but most of it is just, uh, 
is just very 80s Bronze Age kind of, uh, or I'm sorry, you know, is is all of that, and then some of it is just punctuates with this real, you know, you can see him because he he draws and inks this book. He doesn't letter or color it, but he does all the art. So he's pencils and inks, and uh, and there's places where he's just kind of doing doing what he does. But then there's a lot of like kind of pre-image guy stuff. Like Todd had to have looked at some of this, and and Rob definitely looked at some of this. And uh, but it's not it's not the entirety of the book. It's just a page here or there, or you know, one page will be laid out in a very kind of 90s way. So it is this kind of weird like like a harbinger of things to come that I don't think anybody really thought of as being super important at the time. Um, but yeah, so like the first arc or the first four issues arc has him like, you know, getting kicked out. He gets his recorder. He's kind of a dick and then realizes he's a dick and then he needs to like start thinking, like kind of reflect on his life. And then he kind of goes like, after, like, and it, it's a kind of, it's a series of adventures. Like he just goes and, and like loses a race and then has to make the money up because he didn't think he was going to lose. So he had like, you know, he didn't, he's like, well, now I gotta make the money to pay you, cause, uh, I didn't really think this, that was an option. So, he, like, rescues some girl, and, and, um, you know, he meets this guy who would come back in the second, you know, in the second series, and it's like, you know, one, two, and like most of three are kind of like one-off stories, but like then the end of three turns into like a two-parter where Galactus shows up, and, uh, he gets like in a drinking contest with like Galactus, kind of. You guys remember this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Galactus takes his helmet off, which is real weird. <laughs> Yeah. Well, this set the tone for Hercules for decades at Marvel. Like before, yeah, yeah, I think so. Before this series, Hercules didn't even enter my radar. But when really, you, no, I, I was never a Hercules fan. And um, Thor, yes, Hercules, not so much. But when you take the the man and mix him with Skrulls and Galactus, and you catapult him into the future, that got me my attention. So read both of the miniseries and. I have to say, after both of them, Hercules was definitely a character where I was like, oh, cool, Hercules is in this. Because they kept the the tone of Leighton's stories throughout the Marvel Universe. Like, he made the blueprint for this version of Hercules, which is what, even today, you read the, that Mark Wade, uh, Mike Del Mundo event, Avengers. That's kind of the same Hercules as, yeah, this, I mean, as this character. I, I think- he starts as kind of just a, a like Thor light, doesn't he? I mean, sure, I, yeah, I, I yeah, feel like yeah. it, un, until this yeah, point, he is just kind there. of Thor light. Like, like he talks funny mm-hmm. and he's a, you know, a demigod. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this one, it's like you get a real sense of like, you know, his like, uh, his libido gets him in more trouble in these stories than anything, right? And then right. his kind of, um, his kind of grew attitude of like battle first, ask questions later, definitely, you know, it is, I, I think they, they had taken more care with Thor to, to kind of, um, I think his humility gets, gets, baked in a little earlier in Thor, right? Because he gets, you know, he gets punished to be Donald Blake and, and, and that happens fairly early in, in his history. But I, I think Herc shows up in, in a, in a world where Thor has already, like, you know, the god has already been hu- humiliated or, or, uh, you know, been made to understand humility and, and, and then gets his powers back. And, and so it doesn't really, you know, bode telling again when Hercules shows up. But in this story, there's a lot of, you know, the, you know, he needs to get knocked down a peg or two and, uh, and Zeus, you know, kicks him out. And, uh, yeah, that, that first arc is fantastic, but it is, it is kind of like these, you know, two and a half disjointed stories and then kind of concludes with this third one. And so the fourth one, or I'm sorry, the, the second series starts off, um, where he's like, uh, he's like crushing a rebellion, which is weird because, you know, he seems kind of more anti-authoritarian, but he's like on the side of like this rebellion on this, this, this moon that's like mining minerals. And he crushes a rebellion and he, and he gets the leaders and then, um, turns out the, uh, the leader is a scroll in disguise and um and then in the next adventure he like uh 
think he goes to some other space station and Red Wolf is there and, and the Red Wolf of the future uh, is just hunting scrolls left and right. And so there's this guy, this like union leader there that shows up that's been like this this real popular union leader shows up on this this outpost that they're at and uh, turns out he's a scroll. And uh, and so like the whole tone of that one seems like there's this like like scrolls are trying to take over the the you know the universe kind of thing like by by being agitators within like uh, like party leaders inside of like uh, human and uh, human establishments and then it's never picked up again like it just ends in a totally different way so it seems like real connected uh, the only thing that does connect them is I think in uh, in issue three of that one or maybe it is two. Oh yeah, it's issue two of uh, of that second miniseries. Is is Zeus just starts killing gods, just goes on a on a murder rampage of, of gods, and then um, and then her, uh, you know, in I think issue three, uh, after fighting the uh, the dude named Shrek, who uh, who is a uh, Thanos devotee and and uh, steals the uh, Captain Marvel's bands and 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 takes on Red Wolf and Hercules. Uh, he discovers Apollo had escaped Olympus and is real like old, and so he's like, "Oh, I gotta, I gotta go back to Olympus and and and, and face, you know, see what's happened to Zeus." And then, uh, and so then he fights, he fights Zeus kind of to the death, and and uh, and then at, at the end of it, Zeus is like, "Oh no, no, I'm like, I was never crazy. I just wanted to make sure that you had learned humility." He's like, "Yeah, like, they're all dead, but they're in a better place. They've 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 gone to a different. Like, it doesn't undo anything. There's no Deus Ex Machina. There's no there's no undoing of anything." He's like, "Oh no, yeah, they're all totally dead, and I totally murdered them, but I was really setting them free." And now I'm going to die and join them in this other world. And you can come with us. You can just die because Her- Herc's like morally wounded when, while fighting uh, while fighting Zeus. So he's like, but there's this this pearl. If you hold on to it, it'll you can you can be restored and you can just kind of you know make your own way. So it's up to you. And so of course he's like, I don't want to you know, you know uh, to take make my own way. Oh, and the, the whole time too, they've got the the uh, the good scroll with them on the second series, uh, uh, Skippy. Yeah. Uh, who who decided in order to hide he was going to be a supermodel. Which was weird, um, you know, nice <laughs> low-profile job for someone in hiding. Right. Um, the games yeah. we we like to play here is uh, name an artist and and the first character that pops into your mind, the, the character that you immediately associate with that artist. Now, most a lot of people would say if Bob Layton's name Iron was, was brought, Iron Man, of course. Yeah. But when you say Layton, I think Hercules. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, uh, I don't know that Jay uh, Gonzo has ever heard, uh, I guess, uh, our New York Comic Con Bob Layton story, Bill. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> was it the first New York Comic Con or the second one? I think it was it the first. It been our first, yeah. Yeah, so so right when back when I was first getting into the jam piece thing, it might have been my first or second jam piece, um, we were walking around, David and I were just – meandering about artist alley thinking, you know, who could draw what. It was an Avengers jam piece. So David had the brilliant idea. He said, why don't you see if Bob Layton's willing to draw an Iron Man? And, uh, this is like early days when jam pieces were just becoming a thing. So, um, we were like, all right, cool. So we go over and start talking them up. And, and I remember we were looking through the OA and there were like super cheap pages from, from the Hercules books and, you know, chatting him up and stuff, and he was willing to do it, and he didn't even know what a jam piece was, and we explained it to him, and he said, okay, yeah, sure, and so he's sitting there drawing, and we're chatting to him while he's drawing it, and uh, he's got this young woman sitting with him. Sorry, <laughs> cracking up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so we're chatting, and I say something akin to, like, so should, should I just give your daughter the money? <laughs> She had like her pouch open and stuff. <laughs> yeah, she did. And he got this fucking stone cold look on his face, and he looks at us and he's like, 
that's not my daughter. <laughs> just like, oh my god! I'm like, this guy's gonna rip my jam piece into shreds and tell me to go fuck myself. But, uh, yeah, but I, I assume he still has pages. Like, I, I haven't. I mean, those pages, as I recall, were like like hundred bucks or less. Oh fuck! Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna go look yeah, for him. This, this book it. is. There is some beautiful stuff in here. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Oh, the costume design, like I, the first one, he's uh, he's just in his, his standard Herc fare. I think he changes a couple of times. His, his costume gets messed up, and he changes into a couple outfits. But by the end of it, he's back in his usual Hercules costume. But in the second series, he's wearing this uh, sleeveless deep V I love tunic. That. Yeah, yeah, it uh-huh. is the best costume ever. So if he's got pages with uh, with Herc yeah. in the, the deep V tunic. Uh, I am all over that shit. He's always been one of my favorite Avengers. I, I've actually preferred him to Thor in the Avengers, actually. Ooh. Yeah. yeah he's, wow. He's fun Thor. He's Thor with a yeah, sense of Exactly. He's exactly. I mean, I loved, I, I absolutely, uh, I loved when they replaced the Hulk with Hercules for that run a few years back, five or six years ago. Yeah, Maybe Van Lenti. Yep. yep, Van Lenti. I thought that was terrific. In fact, I had uh, I, I, that, it was just yeah that that run was top to bottom just a lot of fun with yeah that, Amadeus Cho and him pounding around that was great right that um, broke with the the latent mold a little bit yeah it did it did that um, was more predicated Her- by actually actual mythology then sure uh, well, and Hercules just returned he's uh, he's he's one of the members of the new the brand spanking new Avengers wait the the Mark Wade Avengers book yep. so he's back. Uh, that was uh, one of the things I wanted to bring up too. Is is, is at first I, I I was really kind of disappointed in, in uh, well disappointed, but I, I think my modern comic sensibilities had forgotten that some of these four issue miniseries weren't really like a through line. Like they were just kind of four issues that they weren't going to do more of. But then the more I thought about it, I'm like, no, this is like the the labors of Hercules, right? It's like he's got to catch the lion, he's got to clean the stables, he's got to you know reroute the river, like all of those like right. there were those those random tasks that were just given to him to prove his worth and in. So there's like there is a tradition of mythological, uh, you know, canon of Herc just having to do one thing after the other without them being kind of a through line, other than it's just him doing it. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought I don't know how conscious Leighton was of that, but um, but they do kind of read that way where it's like, you know, it's a little kind of monster of the week for the first couple, and then the, the third one will have a little bit of hanging something or over that that concludes in the fourth issue, and, and each of the fourth issues are are told in flashback, which I thought was kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, I mean that uh, you know the. That time period was uh, mad nostalgia for that time period, not only because it was early on in my comics obsession, but you know we've talked about this on the show a lot over the years. I mean, just just love those those that period where their Marvel was putting out those four issue limited series of all the different characters. I yeah. I I really am grossly disappointed they haven't put out an omnibus yet of all that stuff. I think that would be a great omnibus to create. Yeah. They were trying everything too, like four issues of Iceman. Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Beauty and the Beast, yeah. yeah. Anything and everything. Oh, dude, you, you got to buy the issue. Machine Man, Machine Man, right? I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. Machine Man, but that was in the future, and I, I always I, – and, and I was Trimpy and, and Barry Windsor Smith, but um, that is – that might be a little tough to read now because even though it's in the future, it was extremely mm-hmm. dated by uh, – because since Machine Man's broken, he's singing jingles, but commercial jingles from the 80s. It's like so nothing else would have been written – by then, so it was just. No, he's an it, elitist. He picks was, a, a time period and he goes yeah, with it. He's the hipster machine man. So yeah. he just he. Uh, it's but no, I mean that was a great miniseries. The Falcon is absolutely one of my favorites. Um, it's yeah, they, they they had and and whether it was some of them were inventory stories, some of them were just. I mean, I don't. I never got the sense reading them back then that they were 
ever meant to be a launch pad. It's just right. like in the X-Men have like, you know, a dozen characters we need. We want to tell an Iceman story and we just can't do it. Claremont's not going to devote four months to just Bobby. So, mm-hmm. Well, the way things... that magic one, which was uh, Magic and Storm, right? Ah, uh, that's a great one. Yeah. There but, was uh, um, Nightcrawler had one. Yeah. The yes, Rocket Raccoon one, of course, but with Mignola. You get Vision and the Scarlet Witch in there too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that, there were those. yeah that was a maxi too. But what I was going to say is that's the way the the industry yeah. should, they should move towards the miniseries because they're all concerned about number ones and restarting everything every so often. If you just do miniseries of characters, you'll have a new number one every four or five months. Well, how often? You know, I mean, it, it wasn't too long ago where everybody was talking about how great it would be if they went with the Hellboy model. Sure, so it's just you know four issues, and here's your. It's a subtitled story. It's like Hellboy lost his whatever, and then it's but yeah, here's your new number one, and and they, I think for a while it almost felt like Marvel was doing that with uh, with the point ones and the Marvel nows, and and you know here's a Captain America book, and then but then you Remender get Remender stops that, and then it's another one that starts up. So every it was like creators had their own. They were able to tell their own version, their own story with that character. It wasn't necessarily a miniseries, but just when that when that writer was done telling his story, they relaunched a book with a new number one. Right? Yeah. But then you get – I have to look at it from the other side. A new reader faced with a wall of books that are just titled Batman stubs his toe. And then the next one, Batman goes shopping. Like which one do I read first? Where does this fall in the in the, in the the timeline? You know, So numbering is great. If that's a concern about where do I start, but if mm-hmm. you don't care about that, then miniseries is the way to go. I think they should just worry about telling good stories. Myself, that's like how, true. How you number that's it, true. <laughs> you know, like instead of you know instead of uh, flexing your editorial muscle and uh, making nine books come together and tell one cohesive story, or um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of um, the the weight put on numbering is because of the way people have tried to exploit it or you know or use sure. it to their advantage and I, and I, I just i feel like if you tell a great story it doesn't matter if it starts at 299 or if it's issue one of you know whatever uh i i think that miniseries were a nice way for people to dabble in things they necessarily you know wouldn't wouldn't try you know it was great getting that uh, that mike zek punisher you know miniseries was fantastic and uh it, it was like oh i, I don't know that i would have bought a Punisher number one knowing it was going to be an ongoing forever, you know, back in 1985, I think when that came out. But, um, but just knowing that it wasn't a huge commitment, that was going to be a four slash five issue miniseries, um, which is one of the best things ever. <laughs> like that, that it was like number one of a four issue miniseries, number two of a four issue. Mini- and then I think yep. number three of a five issue. miniseries. Like, yep. Oops. We got to so, add yep, something. Right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But but I, I think it allows people to dabble a little more. But but I, I just feel like you know. But it was a great story, and it was Zach, and it was you know it looked beautiful, and, and um, it gave you a sense of who he was. You know, the Punisher. Uh, you know, it had a lot of backstory in there, and it had you know some old villains, and then it carried the story forward. So, and I just feel like yeah, it, if you ma- if you tell good stories, if you make good comics, it doesn't matter what you number it. People will figure it out, right? Well, I mean, we didn't. I I didn't start with Uncanny X Men number one. I yeah I. It was the Paul Smith era, so we're already in the 160s. And and Fantastic Four, 230s, Burns already doing the book. I didn't – I knew – and because it's Burn and he was kind of trying to recapture what Stan and Jack did, I didn't need to read the first 
hundred plus issues to find out who these characters are, what, what, what Burns trying to do. And, and if same thing with Batman and Superman, it's not like you may know their origins, you may know their early stories, but yeah, you're not, if, if I was never, it was a different time, but I was never, it was never daunting to see, you know, issue number 348. Yeah. I think that, that like number ones always sell well. I think, I, I feel like the energy spent, on trying to game the numbering system would be better served if they just made use that to make better comics. Yeah. But then again, you didn't have restarted runs back then. That that wasn't a uh, a concern. Batman was consecutive. X-Men was consecutive. Mm-hmm. They didn't restart it unless they they made another book. So you knew where to leap with your next issue or where to go after reading a certain story. Now, how many volumes of, you know, there, there's, you don't have this problem so much at DC, but at Marvel, there has been. Yeah, con- I think like Avengers that the concurrent, long, right? Where do you go I with think Avengers? It's like the eighth volume, right? Yeah. So I mean, but, yeah. if, if you want to, if you want the the entire picture, you you have to know where to start and you know where to proceed. It's just it, it's a mess. So the, that's an argument for consecutively number. Don't break the streak and someone knows where to go. Just tell good stories and they'll find it. I kind of liked know, when they were doing like the, the sub-numbering for a while. Like yeah. You want to make a new volume, stuff. but then like have it in parentheses or underneath it. The, the right. Because yeah. right. it was a blueprint and it was a good yeah. one. Yeah. The, um, but you also have – when you realize you have a character you – you have a title that's been going on for 212 issues you have an editor-in-chief like jim shooter who's like listen every comic is going to be someone's first mm-hmm. so yes you're going to find out that wolverine is the best at what he does and this is what cyclops is ruby this is why he wears the ruby quartz lenses rest and, in peace you know it's like it's it's there yeah. are um it's so you have you have shooter's point of view where you know we want we want you to know who these characters are, even if that means, you know, like you have to eat up a page of story to get, even though you've got readers who've been reading them for 20 years or at this point, you know, 10 years, someone new may not know this. So we have to get everybody caught up on the same page or you just have DC. It's like, you know, here's, here's this issue of detective comics that left off from the previous issue. And you're just going to get one caption where it's like, you know, Batman is trying to escape from killer croc. You don't know what, trap was laid out you don't know what brought batman to face croc it's just like here you're you're in the story now and and it's there is no one size fits all and and i don't know anybody's gonna pick up a comic and go no this isn't for me put it down and never look at it again it's it's it there are i don't think it's okay to to well, you know it's okay to try something, but it, it, not everything is going to be catered for you to jump in on the ground floor. Sure. So, and it shouldn't yeah, be. No, it, it absolutely shouldn't be. And part of the fun, I mean, especially for me, was then finding the the previous however many issues or where this story started, or you know, I it was the whole. Which is why I love the the oh, hot moves and the who's who is because I wanted to learn more about these characters. So I'll I'm hungry for the information. I'll. I do my own homework. We didn't have Google. We didn't have Wikipedia. So we had to go and find out why this character 
acts this way. Who this character is? Did we ever find out who the Taskmaster was? No. So should I have? How far do I have to go back to find out his first appearance or what his origin is? And it's like, well, we never see his face. It, it's just this whole. It was it was so much fun, and and I uh, it, it's yeah. I don't think we need. I, I, I'm. I'm kind of with Gonzo here. Just, just tell good stories. I don't, I don't care what the number is on the cover. I just, I, I want to be entertained. I want to escape. I want, I want to read good stories. But there's much. The industry now is much different than the industry when we got into it. Absolutely, there, there are far mm-hmm. more concerns than just making funny books. Well, you also have to, yeah, because you have. I mean, when we there was no when movies. We started reading. Yeah. There was no movies, but there was no, there was no waiting for the trade. You nope. didn't, you weren't going to get a collect, we, we didn't get collections until Watchmen and Dark Knight and, and you, you know, here come the bad guys. It, it, there weren't any, there were no collections of, there, there were no reprints it, or the, there were the treasury editions. They, they reprinted books, but you didn't get a, a trade paperback nope. Nope. of anything until, you know, DC gave us Ronin and, and things like that. There weren't. Oh, Ronin. <laughs> with, with, with the last page is missing. It, it, there are just certain things where, you know, you, so yes, Vince, it's it, it's way different now than it was then because it's it's a different mindset. It's a different audience. They right. can they, they can they can lose money on selling a few single issues because they know the Runaways may not do great as a single issue series, but once they come out with that oversized hardcover collecting all twelve issues, they're going to make bank. Right, and I think Guardians of the Galaxy is a prime example of that. You push the the original gardens in front of the uh, current um, movie goer, and but what is this? What is that? What the yeah, hell? What's, what's a Charlie Twenty Seven? Right, but you know. <laughs> so thankfully, there are collections that they can just grab that have the gardens that they're used to from the movies in them. So, all right. But I, I also should think we say that, get off our lawn now, or should we wait? No, but it, see, but, but <laughs> because of that, it's like I think that learn. You should know. You you may not. No one's forcing you to enjoy them, but at least learn from history. At least find out where you enjoy the you enjoy this Guardians of the Galaxy, who these characters are. But they're not the first Guardians. Maybe find out what came before, and you don't know what if that's going to spark the imagination for someone else who's like, "Holy shit! Why hasn't anybody done anything else with Martin X? I'm going to tell a story." And and you know, it's just there's I. I, nothing is is off limits. I, I think because everything is out there, you should just you should be able to soak it in. You don't have to love it all, but at least be aware that you know it's bigger than your bubble. You just just because you are enjoying what's happening in Captain America right now doesn't mean that you're not going to know about when when Nomad was Captain America. It's it, right. just there's, there's a lot to enjoy. But yes, the dark the dark dark days when Nomad was Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> and look man no Matt's no no US agent oh that. no that was even darker time <laughs> no get out and speaking like D-Man hey D-Man, oh, D- at least D-Man was was pure and honest <laughs> D-Man wasn't hiding any skeletons in his closet he was D-Man he just wanted to help out but uh, speaking of Guardians that second tra- the trailer for the volume 2 the mm-hmm. new one oh, oh my god Renee and I have watched that trailer that though. Dozen times. That's awesome. So That's cute. Good. Anybody? Mm-hmm. Oh yes, yes. Uh, I think Baby Groot's going to make Groot in a flower pot look like you know a blip. Oh, forget about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So what else do we have to talk about here? Let's let's move to a different direction. What else do we have? 
We have more. We have to have more comics, don't we? Well, we have. Um, I just I just rambled for like thirty minutes, so it's all it's you guys now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know I what? Real think... quick, uh, hold on. Can I interrupt real quick? Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, this will be the last thing. Um, the the the, uh, the great thing about buying these issues though is they have all the the shit that's in them, all the ads, like the Atari ads from nineteen eighty two. The bullpen bulletins uh, in uh, issue one of the second series uh, is an interview that Defalco did with uh, Grunwald, Carlin, and Brown about uh, Ohatmu, why they decided to start it. It's uh, it's the or it's the, it's him asking like so why you guys decided to do this and and uh, you know what your goals were and all that sort of thing. So that's one of the benefits of the of getting the, the issues that are you know what less than a dollar each uh, is you get all this the you get to see a checklist from 1982 or. Uh, a Frogger ad from 1982, and and, uh, and uh, yeah, them talking about Ohatmu was kind of fantastic. So yeah, grab the issues, man. Yeah, see, I've always been a proponent of the bullpen bulletins page, even though most of it was hyperbole on Stan's part. But like you said, there are some really golden nuggets in those things, and I think while the audience would be very small, I think that they should corral all those bulletin pages. In and just reprint them for the sake of posterity. That's information that should be in in under one or many covers for the for the archivist or historian or just anyone mm-hmm. that wants to see where all this stuff came from. Get that stuff reprinted. I would love it. Yeah, that'd be great. I would buy that. That would probably be the only book Mar- Marvel book I'd buy. They could, they could throw it online. You could just digitize it all. Yeah. Check it out well, I mean that is possible because yeah. I probably have them all digitized already. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's cool. All right, more comics. What do we got? So it's been two weeks, and um, I don't think we can go by without uh, the obligatory Vincent David Batman recap. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring it up. Man, double pages for days. Yes, yes. David is talking about Batman number 12. Have either of the Jasons read this? Nah, son. All right. Nah, been, way. We, we know Jason Wood is way, way. Yeah, well, that's... Man, I, I, I was, Batman was the only new DC title I had kept uh, current on because I, I used to sort of work with Greg. We were in a similar... We were in a, the same department even, we were, even though we weren't in the same building um, when I was at McFarland. Um but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I kind of want to say that even the last few issues, I was not feeling uh, Greg. I, I think I, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to shit talk anything. But I, I, I fell off even while Capullo was still drawing it, Ooh. and uh, and and then just did not make the jump to the new book. Well, uh, okay. Tom is doing really surprising things with Batman. Um, he's not. Now, this is where David and, and myself may part ways. Uh-oh. He's, he's tweaking certain parts of the mythology. Now we are when – when, when Tom started writing Batman, I think there may have been some, some oversight, some instruction from higher up saying this is kind of where – we want ooh, this is what we want with, with with the character and then you know but but you're going to get a couple of issues to get your feet wet and then you have this crossover with the other bat books and then you'll be able to do something and i think i am suicide is tom getting to do something to to really kind of make his mark i agree yeah on batman yeah exactly but um 
regular listeners will know that we've you know we've talked about this book. Selena Kyle has been cast as a mass murderer, um, two hundred and thirty plus seven, seven uh, victims. Uh, Batman needs the psycho pirate because um, Gotham Girl is experiencing traumatic. Uh, nightmares and he needs to fix it so he needs the psycho pirate Bane has the psycho pirate holed up in his stronghold Batman assembles a team goes in with the team um, one of which is Catwoman a ventriloquist uh, Bronze Tiger and Punch and Julie so long story short um, Batman is within Bane's stronghold and he is while he's dealing with Bane's uh, grunts that that are trying to prevent him from getting to the psycho pirate. He has a, an internal monologue, which is basically a letter to Selena, and in it he recounts the the moment where he saw his parents murdered and how uh, distraught he was. And Tom, well, that's interesting because we've never seen that before. No, he's but you he don't you don't pearls, he mentions bro. it. He mentions he, the pearls. He does, but you don't see that. It's all it's all double page battles, and they are brilliantly well, rendered by uh, Mikhail Yanin. Yes, yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, and and yeah, there, there's there's some. Uh, there's some cat assistance as there was with the pipes, but Jason, while there is some familiar territory in Batman's letter, uh, he also says, he lets us know that if they were to see him today, his parents would be laughing. Right. And Tom did a little tie in on Facebook where, mm-hmm. where I don't know, I don't recall the exact wording, but he, he said, you know, his, Something about stand up and basically his work on Batman is is should be uh, is akin to a joke or a, a punchline, and that ties into what Batman is talking about. Where um, his parents would probably be a little, they would laugh to see him dressed as a, you know, uh, an animal fighting crime. But the gist of it is, in the in the days after the the parents were murdered. Uh, where the young Bruce was at his lowest low, and this is spoilers for if you hadn't read this book, then don't listen yeah. to me because it's this is uh, spoiler territory. It ties into the title of the story. It ties into Bruce actually tried to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Had had the razor was going to slit his wrists. What was he ten years really? old? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. He, but he instead of ending his life that way, which would be unproductive. He decided to end his life by devoting, uh, by surrendering to the the uh, the external, um, the the forces that have the the badness and and everything in the world, and just um, surrender, give up, in a sense, and devote his life to avenging uh, his mother and father by the war on crime. Meaning, he it's a different type of suicide. He, the reason why he can't get attached to a woman, you know, um, or the reason why he never does anything significant or, 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 or life affirming aside from being Batman is because that he has no, there's no future in it. He knows he's going to die doing what he does. So it's a, it's a form of suicide, but not a quick one. It's, it's like an, it's like a, a last gasp that goes on for decades. Is that how you read it, hmm. David? Yes. 
Yeah, that, that's pretty much how I was explaining it to Renee on the, on the drive to work this morning. It was, um, and that's why he is fearless and flings himself into danger and just does things that no, no mortal man should be able to do is because he doesn't care about his well-being. He, he knows that there will be an end and it will not be good. So he's comfortable with that. He has surrendered to that, that, that fact. And I'm sorry for interrupting you, David, but I, I, I haven't kept up on the uh, response to this, but I don't think this is anything out of the ordinary. Like this is business as usual for Batman, right? Yeah, I mean it's the the uh visually and and if if you were to just look at it on the surface, absolutely that this is there's nothing unusual about what Batman's doing. It's it's when you when you find out what's going on inside his head, that is where that's where time is shining. That's right. that, that's that that is where we're getting something different and and i don't think um i go ahead no 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 you you said it this is where tom shines and the reason why he's shining is because he gave it a name he gave a name to something we've all known forever the i am suicide he 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 puts the tag on it but is there anybody that didn't feel this way i don't I don't oh, no. know. I definitely, I definitely didn't feel that way. That's that I, I'm, I'm ingesting all of this right now for the first time, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say nope. Really? The, 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 the... absolutely. Um, well, the, the whole. Uh, okay, so you have kids, right? I mean, I, I, do. I have, uh, I have children. Uh, I know uh, Jason and, and David. You have children, right? Um, I, I, uh, I, I've, I've literally said to my kids, uh, look, when I'm gone, and you think of me. I want you to laugh. I want you to remember that we had a lot of really good time together. Because uh, I'm goofy with my kids. Like I, you know, we do dumb shit all the time. Like there's a there's a roundabout on the freeway exit of my house uh, to get to my house from their mom's house, and uh, I can't tell you how many times I just go around that like two or three times just to annoy uh-huh. them. You know, and they they're just you know they they laugh about it. So I have a feeling that uh, I'm hoping that when I'm gone, at some point they'll see a roundabout and just laugh as they go around it too many times. You know, um, and, and so. Just the notion that that Bruce's parents would have wanted him to be uh, to not live to to be miserable the entirety of his life. Uh, a, I think, flies in the, the face. I mean, granted, he was a kid and he didn't he doesn't really know what it's like to be a parent. Uh, although he has surrogate parented, you know, um, you know, several wards at this point. But um, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a shitty way to 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 look at your your life as having ended when your parents did. I mean, they gave you life so that you could live it, not so that you could die with them. Uh, secondly, I think that's a huge misinterpretation of what the ethos of Batman actually is. And I think that that's become more and more warped as we get further and further away from Frank Miller and the Dark Knight. And um, I would say that uh, that his his superpower is not that he's unafraid. His superpower is not that he is, is even vengeance or the idea of justice. I mean, you know, if you want to distill, you know, someone like Superman down to a word, it's hope, right? He's the best version of us. He's the bright shining example of us at our best. Batman's superpower is that he has no superpower. His superpower is dedication, is that he has devoted himself to a thing so much so that he can't be surprised. He can't be bested, even without having some kind of metahuman abilities to do that. And I think the idea of dedication and hopelessness are diametrically opposed. I don't think that you can be dedicated to hopelessness. Um, I, I feel that, that you need motivation. You need a, a sense of some kind of, you know, his, his, 
his motivation to be that dedicated is that the system had failed, that his parents who were these social justice warriors who were only forces for good in the world were struck down because the evil couldn't be contained because it be, and everyone has resigned themselves to the idea that it is just so big that it cannot be tackled. And he said, no, I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm containing it. I am stopping it and I'm pushing back against it. Does not bode well with the idea of like, ah, we're all fucked and I'm going to, I'm dead already. Like those just seem very corrosive. No, to I, the, I think that's a Batman. Yeah. I think you're misinterpreting it. He, he, okay. or at least what we said, um, he has, given his life to avenging the deaths of his parents. Mm-hmm. Now that's, well, I get that. like, that's, I, that's I, a I romantic don't. notion, but he knows that he can never yeah. complete that task. He could never, yeah. his war on all cr- criminals yeah. will continue oh, it, it is, it, it, until it he a dies. It's a quixotic quest for sure. Yeah. yeah. It, it, is com- it is completely a quixotic quest. Like his, his Dulcinea is the idea of a crime-free Gotham, right? Like he, he uh, he looks at Eldanza, the, the Gotham that is, and he sees Dulcinea. He sees this beautiful idea of what what Gotham could be, um, and uh, and I get that, and that motivation all rings true. But the idea of uh, of suicide is is the extension of hopelessness. I mean, that is that is depression and hopelessness. And and, and I literally had this conversation with someone today. Um, I was kind of checking in with uh, who I was as a person. I I, uh, I watched that Nick Cave documentary, the the um, mm-hmm. One More Time with Feeling, uh, real good, uh, but kind of kind of uh, kind of haunting. Like it's it's gonna it's gonna fuck you up, especially as like a professional creative. And uh, you know, I I made a deal a long time ago that I was okay being a diminished man to be a better artist. You know, and, and I was just kind of checking in that I maybe hadn't hadn't neglected the, the, the person side of me to, to nurture the artist side of me. So I, I get the idea of, of, uh, of sacrificing for one's uh, passion uh, and the thing that you're dedicated to. But I don't see that as, um, as like, you know, uh, a zero sum game. It's not, not, uh, you know, it's, it's not eating away at my man, you know, at me as a person because I'm an artist, you know, but I definitely need to, to spend more time on, on other areas of my life as opposed to just dedicating to art. So I, I get those kind of, those kind of ideas, but I also think that, um, you know, uh, much like, uh, there was a, uh, I want to say an Argentinian poet, uh, he did all these small biographies of, of, uh, famous people. And he has this great line about Django Reinhardt and, uh, Django Reinhardt, uh, famous guitar player, probably the best who ever lived. Uh, was was injured in a fire when he was young, and he lost the use of um, two of the fingers on his left hand. But uh, but he was he was still able to be the best guitar player in the world. Um, and the, this poet wrote this great line. He's like, uh, Django had a secret pact with his guitar. If he would play her, she would lend him the fingers he lacked. And so I feel like uh, you know, it, in that spirit, I feel like when when Bruce puts the suit on, uh, it makes up for everything he isn't. So I don't I don't think that it's a uh, I don't know man I, I just don't think that it that it's a a sacrifice so much as it's a trade off I guess if that does that make sense it's a productivity trade off uh, his life would have been his, zero uh, if he killed himself so in he's he's swapping the the instant death which he wants for mm-hmm. a death that will have meaning in terms of his parents by trying to eradicate all the criminals, which he can never, ever do. Like th- this, it, it, if you read this this monologue, this book, this is the Dark Knight Returns Batman. This is the guy that flung himself in front of the mutants 
knowing that he was either going to die or or come very close to it and that just the whole devil may care thrust of of batman not even recognizing death because it's going to happen right the the at the end of this long journey he's going to die doing what he claimed that what he what he proposed to do he's going to try and avenge his parents uh rest of my life warring on all criminals and the the the, the destiny is is in stone so uh, you, this is i think this is what tom's saying is that it's just a it's a protracted demise whether whereas the the, the slitting of the wrist would have been immediate right but that i don't think that significantly I guess changes that trouble the character i i just have trouble with how it's framed like with the the idea um, a that a ten year old would think of suicide because his his you know his parents had died. I, I don't I don't necessarily know that that um, I think that's very I don't I don't think that you know I mean I, I've I've known young people who've lost their parents and and uh, although they are devastated uh, I don't know that that uh, that they see that as an option. I mean you know, suicide is almost always the 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 end result of some depression. You know I'm like I don't people. You're like that's not just depression; it's devastation. I, I, I don't know, man. Like I, I've I've known a few people who've taken their life too, and I, I, I just I find it uh, I find it insulting to my idea of Batman and my in the memory of those people who've, who have I know who have taken their own lives. And and uh, yeah, man, I just don't like the word suicide there. Like I don't mind the you know death wish sounds better maybe or or uh, or maybe you know just I, I get I get what he's trying to frame it as is, is kind of the um the uh, the clarity of being that unafraid definitely lends some weight to, to the idea of Batman but man I just I do not like the word suicide like especially having lost a few friends to it like I just don't it's just uh, I don't know man I'm, I'm gonna have to say nope not okay like just not <laughs> not okay at all uh, it's it's a it's a ballsy move on uh, King's part. And uh, where the neat part about it is where we were very, very, very concerned about Selena, uh, and again, another spoiler, about Selena being a mass murderer. Uh, Bruce specifically talks to her in his monologue and says that the reason why we click, the reason why you know me and I know you is because you have attempted the same thing. You, you've, you, you know that place from, from whence I come. And the, the, that's the only reason the, a person has to feel that in order to detect it in another person. And so when you say you killed 237 people, I call bullshit on you because, mm-hmm. because you know how precious life is and you would never do that knowing that. And so the, I mean, the jury's still out, but this is just Bruce thinking. This doesn't mean it's true, but the fact that Selena is a mass murderer is probably a ruse on Tom's part. And I think it was well played because this is the payoff. Boom. Right. They, and he said that something about when they kiss, that electricity between us is just the deadening of the pain we feel. That's that, that, I thought that was a brilliant line. He's 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 doing stuff with this, and this is not just you know um, the standard take on Batman. I think, uh, regardless of of uh, you know the perception of this, Thomas putting in the time, thinking in directions that 
we don't usually associate with this comic and this character. So uh, maybe I'll give it a look. I'll give it a look and, and see how it reads. I mean, I might be losing some of the nuance in, in uh, yeah. just kind of having it summarized. Like, I'm, I'm, that's nothing against you, Vince. Right, I, right, I just, right. Uh, yeah. No, it's yeah, it's yeah. definitely something you need to to uh, digest for yourself because it's it's very cinematic in the way it's presented too. The the monologue is is drawn out over the entire issue, and you see Bruce just pushing his, his way, way through the the stronghold. Um, visually, it's very stunning too, uh, but it's done. It's it's done widescreen, and it's it's just a beautiful thing yeah, ex- to look except at. Except for the the first and last page sure. of the book, it's all double page spreads. Yeah, yeah it's very very neat. All right, I'm looking. We we're pushing things with the clock on the wall here. Uh, let me check. Let me check. All right, we got to do the in your travels. Yes, we do. Yeah, we do. Uh, all right, everybody. Hey, I'm going to repeat what I said at the top end of the episode there's a new list of specials on discount comic book service dcbservice.com from marvel deadpool bad blood original graphic novel it's a hardcover it's written and drawn by the man who created deadpool himself rob liefeld and it will only cost you twelve dollars and 49 cents uh from dc it's the flintstones trade paperback volume one 849 and a joint effort between DC and Boom, Planet of the Apes, Green Lantern. I cannot wait for this. Uh, It's a miniseries and the DCBS price for all those in the know is $1.99. In your travels. I have a book that will definitely, I'm going to reach for it because it's a thing of beauty. It's an imposing thing because it's an oversized hardcover. Released by IDW. Now, at the beginning of the episode, I talked about a Mickey and Company story that was predicated on a real-world event. Well, this is the flip side. This is a Mickey story that is predicated on a total ruse. Much like uh, Sonny Lou's The Art of Charlie Chan Hock Chi, Mickey's craziest adventures begins with... A very clever inside joke by the creators. It was written by Louis Trondheim. You know who he is, and if you don't, you best get on that. He uh, is the cartoonist and writer responsible for Lamouche, the McConey stuff. He did Dungeon with Johann Svar, the Nimrod at Fanagraphics. Trondheim is an amazing cartoonist, but in, he's, in this role, he's just a writer. The art is by Nicholas Karamidis. Color art by Bridget Finlocky, and it's called Mickey's Craziest Adventures, and it is amazing. It's the joke is that the creative team were uh, yard sale hopping, and the uh, Nicholas found a box of books, a box of Disney comics called uh, Walt Disney's Comics and Stories: Mickey's Quest, which was what they call a rare offshoot of Walt Disney's comics and stories uh, in which there were single page adventures done in the 60s called Mickey's Quest and the artist did not manage to buy the entire series there were gaps in it so this book is supposedly a presentation of all the single page strips they could find in in chronological order so as you're well, reading as you're reading this it goes from like chapter 4 to well chap- it starts 
with chapter two. Right. It starts with chapter two, then it goes to four, then it goes to yep. seven, then eight, then ten. But there's no break in the story. You can piece it together. These pages don't exist because these pages were created by this creative team. So it's, it, you know, it's a neat little conceptual hook to present Mickey and Donald with dinosaurs and giant squids and uh, basically the the Beagle Boys and Pegleg Pete steal Gyro Gearloose's shrink ray and turn Scrooge's entire money bin really small and steal everything. So Mickey and Donald chase after them and the adventures ensue. But this thing is absolutely gorgeous. David, back me up. Oh, it is. It's it's a thing of beauty. I uh, I absolutely love the colors on this. It's it's every page is packed. It doesn't feel like there's only forty four pages to this story. No, it, it feels like you're getting so much more. It's um, the yeah, pa- it's it's amazing. The pages are ink stained. Some of them have uh, a drink ring on them. There are ink, there are spills. Some of one page is torn right across the bottom where you can't really see. Uh, you can't really discern a lot of the dialogue, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, the the creative team intended it to be consumed this way like charlie chan hockey these are it's a it's a faux historical document of something that never existed that has been created right now for our pleasure it's just an amazing book it's a hardcover too so look for this i mean i really want to talk about this at length after david reads the whole thing okay because it's awesome i could do that i'm done in your travels um Here's another collaboration between DC and another company. This is uh, from DC and IDW uh, with cooperation of Nickelodeon. It's Batman and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Adventures. Ooh. And this is a um, – and keep that in mind, adventures, because this style, no. even though it's the turtles of, of the Nickelodeon – cartoon this is the batman animated series batman adventure style batman this is this is tyler templeton and and rick burchett this this looks like it's right out of the 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 tim dini cartoon and and it, it it it's the yellow oval around the bat symbol it's the old yellow utility belt um it's it's that version of two-face it's that version of the joker of Clayface. it looks Absolutely stunning, and I I had no I really didn't know based on the solicits. I just I didn't enjoy it as much as maybe Vince did, and I know Jason bought the hardcover, but um, I liked the Batman Turtles crossover from earlier in the year that Freddie Williams drew. Um, so I didn't know that this was going to be just like. The Fox and CW cartoon. I'm glad it is. I'm, I'm, I, I would definitely have purchased it, regardless, knowing that. But um, yeah, this 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 just takes me back. And I, I started reading it before we started recording tonight, and I will be finishing it uh, when we're done. But it is it it looks great. It is uh, it is a six issue miniseries. It is written by Matthew K. Manning. Your artist is John. So Mariva anchor is Sean Parsons. I'm sorry. So your penciler is John Somariva. Uh, anchor Sean Parsons. Colorist Leonardo Ito. 
uh, Sean Lee's your letterer. It is, it, and I know Vince. It looks loves great. This. The paper is, is great. The cover is great. It, it's, it's, it's a, it's a slick looking package, but yeah, I am, I'm quite happy to see, um, and, and I mean, and a few pages that I've read of the turtle so far in it, they, uh, it, it, it sounds like, it reads like the turtles from, from the cartoon, so there's no problem there. But yeah, this is absolutely, uh, the Batman that I used to come home from school after the 1989 movie and, and watch that cartoon. So, uh, it's, it's pretty fun so far. Check it out. Nice. Uh, in your travels, I'm going to take you back to uh, World War II, an alternate World War II, though. In this World War II, the women of the DC Universe are major players. I know what it is. Yes. DC bombshells. Yes. Um, interesting little path here. It started off, actually, as a line of collectible statuettes where they were taking female uh, DC heroines and turning them into... Um, uh, like, uh, throwback, uh, reimaginings if they, as if they were from the, um, World War II era. And those statuettes were so popular that they came up with the idea of having female creative teams tell stories about these characters set in World War II, uh, as part of DC's digital, uh, comics initiative. And then that went well, and so they began collecting them into, uh, printed versions. And I read the first volume called Enlisted, and I thought it was terrific. Um, it's essentially, uh, the team is uh, Kate Kane, who's uh, Batwoman, uh, Diana, a.k.a. Uh, Wonder Woman, uh, Kara Starkov and Courtney Duganova, uh, who are uh, Russian versions of the Afro, you can figure out who they are, uh, and then Mara, um, who is uh, you know, the daughter of Atlantis. And uh, it's written by Marguerite Bennett, who is always one of the best-dressed uh, people at a convention. True that. And she gives away free candy as well. She's, uh, <laughs> she does. She gives away, gives away candy. Uh, and then uh, the 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 R-Team uh, exceptional collection of, of cartoonists, uh, Marguerite Sauvage, who cannot draw guns uh, when she has commissions, <laughs> but figured out a way to draw guns in this book. Always, got, so, always has to interject that. <laughs> uh, Laura Braga. Uh, Bilkus Evely. Yes. Mirka Andolfo, who has crushed it on my jam piece twice. Uh, and Ming Doyle. Um, and, uh, it's just a lot of fun, man. It's, I, I thought, uh, I thought the book was a blast. Um, I have the second volume sitting here waiting to read, but, uh, but yeah, I just, uh, it was, it was action packed and, um. Wow, two volumes and, already? Yeah, and yeah. Explo- it's not exploitative either. I mean, um, you know, this could have easily turned into like a, cheesecake thing gone wrong right. and it's anything but it's 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 truly not it's the antithesis of that you know it's 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 empowered women dressed reasonably you know at least not not overly provocatively you know just kicking ass in 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 helping the allied forces out against the nazis which is cool there's never there's never a bad time to see nazis getting their faces punched well it bodes very well that most of the people creating this thing are women well i think that was by design right right yeah yeah I'm gonna look into this. I kind of it's a blast because it was it catapulted out of the the statue line. I kind of passed it off, but no, same here, same here. Yeah. But then I started seeing who the creative team were, and um, I was listening to another podcast uh, some time ago, and they were raving about the book as it was coming out, and so I just kind of filed it away, and then um, I ordered. Uh, I was placed an order with In Stock Trades 
when they were having their sale for Black Friday and, uh, and just, I, I saw the volumes and I thought, all right, you know what? I'll try these. They're super cheap. Worst case, you know, you know, no, no couple bucks down the drain, but, uh, no, I'm really glad I gave it a try. It's, it's to your point, Vince. I think it's, it, it, the fact that it came from a line of, of very almost cheesecakey statuettes probably didn't do it at the service it deserves. Right. So, not that I have anything against cheesecake. Lord knows that. Of course not. Mr. Gonzo. All right. Um, can I, can I recommend something to watch? Sure. Of course. All right. Uh, so in your travels, um, I'm a, I'm an anime fan, like, uh, have been for, for a long time. And, um, and I think, uh, you know, it, it's only been maybe the past 20 years or so that the, the availability of a lot of animes has been, has been out there, uh, especially kind of like episodic stuff. Um, the, uh, the anime I think I grew up with, you know, like, um, you know, we ended up getting like Astro Boy and Tetsujin 28 here, uh, you know, like in the fifties and sixties. And then, um, I grew up watching the like Battle of the Planets, which was kind of episodic, but turned into kind of Monster of the Week. Um, especially with the addition of like Seven Zark Seven and One Rover One, and, and uh, they took kind of the punch out of it. And then, uh, you know, Star Blazers was here briefly. Uh, but in um, 1985, Carl uh, Masick and Harmony Gold uh, brought over three series and packaged them up into one big long story called Robotech. Mm-hmm. And and, uh, and Netflix has all 85 episodes on Netflix for free right now. Uh, and so I decided to re- revisit uh, at least Macross. I don't know if I'm gonna skip into uh southern cross or uh or what do they call it masters, masters or um right or the, the new, new generation. generation uh yeah you know uh, I, I gotta say one thing though uh uh lin min may is no yellow dancer like god she has just the most annoying songs ever but uh mm-hmm. but my wife has never seen robotech so we sat down and and i i was like look it's gonna take a few episodes so be patient but um yeah you know by the time uh roy folker dies a spoiler alert for a, a 20 five-year-old show or 30-year-old show um she was she was uh, significantly invested emotionally invested in 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 the loss of roy and and just seeing that people like straight up don't come back you know they're they're gone forever and and uh claudia is is haunted by the loss of roy and and uh you know dolza shows up and and uh and and really takes care of business and and uh you know people switch sides and there's you know defection and the real human emotion she's she's really invested and uh yeah the animation is definitely 80s and uh a lot of the motivations are kind of surface level, but there's enough kind of depth to it going on. And it was the first episodic anime that I had ever seen, uh, where, you know, storyline is, it's one big long storyline. It's not, it's not Voltron. He's not just like, oh, they're going to, you know, the row beast gets big and then he's got to, you know, make a flaming sword and cut him in half. Like it, it's not that kind of formula. It, it was, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it moves along some episodes. A lot of stuff happens. Other ones are kind of quiet, reflective episodes. Um, you know, there's there's growth in the characters. Uh, you know, the, the last episode I watched, they were flashing back to the first couple episodes. I'm like, ah, like Rick actually gets taller in in the episodes. He's uh. he's not quite a kid. And uh, yeah, so so yeah, do yourself a favor, man. If you're not, you know, if you like things that are that are episodic kind of anime, like if you know, without Robotech, we don't get Attack on Titan, we don't get Sailor Moon, like you know, um, which arguably are, are better versions of episodic anime. But um, but uh, but it kind of in America, at least this is kind of that pioneer show that came here. And, uh, and and I think made a million anime fans in, in America. So yeah, check out some Robotech. Yep. And there's a shower scene. Oh yeah, yeah. You see Lin, Lin Min May's butt. <laughs> there you go. Reason enough, right? All right, everybody. Hey, thank you very much for being here with us. And we would like to remind you 
the impetus for this episode was the fact that Mr. Gonzo won our album art contest for last year. And the new contest is currently going on. So please, if you would like to, you know, give it a shot, uh, create our album art for 2017, we would uh, very much like you to do so. Uh, and the, we don't have any rules printed up, do we? Anywhere? There is no rules. Just mm. uh, just make it, make it, make the damn thing square and uh, make it fit. Well, yeah, is it 300 by 300? Yeah, but if you want to work twice or three times up, we can always. There is Photoshop, so. Uh, cleaner, the bigger the better, but just make sure it's square, proportional to a square. Um, and uh, the winner will be featured on each and every episode for 2017. How about that? So do it. And please leave us a review on the iTunes or wherever else you got this thing. And as always, here's a good part. You're waiting for this, oh, right? Is it, is they're, it they're all waiting for this. Say, say good night. David. Good night. I'm not going to do all that. You're doing it in your head. Don't lie. You are. David. Oh, you're talking. Oh, see, I tried. That was the move. I came out from under the ring. I was trying to, I was trying to get a, the referee wasn't looking. So I said, what the hell? Yeah. James Ellsworth. Yes. Mr. Gonzo, thank you for being here with us. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. It was awesome. And uh, we probably will uh, talk to you before then, but if not, you best have a Merry Christmas. Oh, or, you too, man. Happy, Happy New Holiday. Year. Yeah, that too. Merry yes. New Year. Yeah, all that stuff. Uh, we love you guys. Say goodnight. Peace out. Good night. Bye. Sweetheart and my wife